0: Oh, dang! (laughs) the british are going oh that's one crazy mate he's hanging out the he's hanging out the helicopter. he's hanging out the chopper
1: no they were cleaning their drawers just like the power pilots were you know because it was just like i mean it was so because i mean you know they're probably looking left and right you know looking for stuff and they really weren't paying attention in front of them and the, the brits were doing the same thing and i mean at the last second they everybody just happened to bank the correct way so we didn't hit each other head on and you
2: guys are flying lights out right
1: oh yeah it's a totally blacked out yeah <sighs> And then, so, uh, so we were doing these missions like that. And then another night I was coming back from, uh, uh, one of the missions and I see this like incredible place, like lit up on the side of this mountain. I mean, it's uh, it looks like something like, uh, like searchlights from Hollywood, you know, and it's like, what is that? And they're like, well, that's, that's Saddam's Northern palace, you know? And so I'm just like, wow. I said, Hey, uh. Hey, let's get closer to that thing. They go, yeah, every time we get close, they shoot at us, you know? And I'm like, well, that's cool. I'll shoot back. So we get close to the thing, you know, and I hadn't took any fire, hadn't took any fire yet. And then uh, uh, I'm like, that's a huge swimming pool. It was in front of this house, you know? So I'm like, hey, get me over that swimming pool. And I'm said, you sure this is Saddam's palace? And they're like, yeah, it's Saddam's palace. And I said, get me over that swimming pool. So I take a M67 frag grenade and fire it into that swimming pool. And I'm like, okay, frag out. So they're like, and bank off. And we take off and it just explodes that swimming pool, you know, just bust it. And the water's running down this mountain. We're looking back, you know, and, and so the Iraqis that were guarding this palace, they thought (laughs) there was some, there were some Brits that were doing a reconnaissance on this palace, like you know, uh, sneaky, you know, whatever. But they knew they were there. You know, the Iraqis did. Well, they thought the Brits did this, so they attacked this platoon of Brits. You know, oh, and uh, yeah, they getting smashed. Did you
0: know the Brits were there when you did? We this? had
1: no idea, and so they attacked these Brits, and we didn't. I didn't know this till later. I didn't know this till years later. Okay, I'll tell you why. Uh, so they attack these Brits, and the Brits get in this massive firefight. Their commander wins this big medal. All this stuff, you know. And so I know nothing about this. Uh, you know, basically, you know, this is years later. I've I- I talked to one of these Brits, but I- I- it's once
0: I'm at Dev Group, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh-huh. Wow, <laughs> you toss a grenade, you don't know the Brits are there, and they get a medal for it. They get a medal for it. Yeah. <laughs> I start the fight, and they get a medal. Well,
2: somebody had to start it.
0: <laughs> now I have to ask you: Was that a valid military objective? Taking out the dude's pool? No, but it was fun, and we were laughing. <laughs> the pilots and I were
1: all laughing about it, so it was it was funny.
0: Oh my goodness! <laughs> hey, that's your second confirmed kill now. Hey.
1: Th- I think they did kill some of those palace guards, so I'm going to claim them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> man. Well, the, a pool and an asp. So, yeah, uh, that's
2: exactly. Well, maybe some of the water washed them down and one of them drowned or something. It may have.
0: Good. Taking them out that way. Hey, look, by any means necessary. So, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know if we can top that. Did you have anything that tops that? I mean, you, you'd nearly kill yourself. You're hanging out of a Kiowa helicopter on w- with an eight-foot tubular sling uh, doing the Australian crawl version of, you know, taking out snipers. Uh, anything else we should learn about before we talk about stateside? No, I mean,
1: we just did, uh, like I said, it, was, it wasn't full-on, like, going in and raiding, doing uh, DA missions at this point of the war. I mean, because it was so quick, you know, and then it was like, okay, Uh, even the Marines weren't doing anything at that point. And so
0: DA is direct action, direct
1: action missions, you know, so, you know, it, it would have evolved into that if, if the war would have continued, but it just didn't. And so now we're there. And so we're just finding, trying to find jobs, you know, and so that's what we did. And, and whether it was, uh, uh, once the sniper missions dried up, we would haul, you know, Kurds and, uh, trucks to, help them, you know, move and this, that, and the other thing. Cause the way that the Peshmerga treated us, uh, we wanted to help them, you know, cause the Peshmerga are Kurds. So, yeah.
0: I like the way you said you're just like, you're unemployed. Hey, we need a job. So, I mean, you guys are just right. If you don't stay busy, they pull you back. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, we were there with the Marines that were from our ship.
1: And so basically, uh, we just needed to, uh, we, you just don't want to sit around. It's like, okay. So we, uh, whatever we could do to help, we did. And so that's basically
2: what happened. Is it during this time when uh, everybody's looking for Saddam?
1: No, this is 10 years before that. Okay. Yeah, he he gets a second chance
0: at this shit. Um yeah. <laughs> The next time I'm in the army. Yeah, which is Got the it. proper branch to be in by the way, Hua. So we'll talk about that, but um now, what you they said you were a sniper, so I know you go through some advanced training later because um, you, you went a couple of awards for doing that, but was everybody trained as a sniper or did you, when you went through your uh, STT, did you get additional training as a sniper?
1: No, see, I, when they say, hey, do you guys have some snipers? Well, we had one actually school trained sniper and he was an ex, uh, a former Marine who went through Quantico's sniper school and he's still a good friend of mine. And, uh, so, but him and I, I mean, I grew up shooting and this, that, and the other thing. And I had my M14 with iron sights and he had a uh, a Remington 700, uh, 7.62 gun. So we would shoot, you know, and I could pretty much, I mean, out to 200 shoot with him, you know what I'm saying? With iron sights. And so, uh, when they asked for snipers, you know, my buddy's like, Hey, he goes, he can shoot as good as I can out to 200 and how far are the targets, you know? And they're like, well sometimes are 50 yards you know and so uh he he recommended that I be one of the snipers you know he's like hey you know this guy's a good shot let him do it and so as soon as I got back from that deployment they sent me to sniper school
2: can you explain, uh, when you say iron sights, explain for our listeners what you're talking about right there. So
1: it's, uh, you don't have any magnification. There's no scope. You're just, you're basically, you're, you're shooting with sights. Uh, yeah, you're you're lining up the rear and front sight uh, and uh, letting it fly, you know. So, I mean,
0: uh, World it's War II. It's not like the ACOGs they have today no. and all the other fancy stuff, man. It's like you line up the, the rear kind of bracket uh, of sight with the front blade, you know, and it's like, Get that sight picture and then let loose. That's pretty much it. And and what's what's funny is uh,
1: when you're going through the training, uh, even now they have them do it with iron sights because it teaches you so many fundamentals of uh, trigger pull and uh, you know basically front sight. You got to focus on that front sight. Whereas now it's all optics and everything, and you don't really get the same uh, level of training unless you know how to shoot
0: iron sights.
2: So, yeah, you got to learn the basics of marksmanship there. Learn the basics of marksmanship, yeah.
0: You know, and I, Murph, I told you this. So when you're law enforcement, you want to keep carrying after you after you punch out of the job. They have this thing called HR 218. It was after passed after 9-11. So if you're former law enforcement, certain amount of years and experience, you can go every year and requalify and get a concealed carry, a federal concealed carry permit. So you can carry anywhere, basically. And uh, I went back to qualify this time. It's the first time I ever shot. Uh, uh, it was a Smith and Wesson that had the red dot on there. Mm-hmm. I've never shot red dot before. And it took me a little bit to get used to it. Cause I was like, you, hey, everything I've done has always been, uh, you know, iron sights. It's always been more muscle memory. So, I mean, it was, it was like a little bit of an advantage, but at the same time I'm going, well, what happens if your optics go to shit or something happens there? What's your fallback? You know, what's, what's, what's your plan. And if you've never trained with iron sights and traditional shooting, it's like, I don't want to be stuck there. Um, if the optics go out and I've got no other choice. And a lot of times they dovetail and there's no rear sight. It's just, it's
1: total optic, you know? And so I don't know. I I don't own a an optic handgun right now. Mine's still I don't just either. iron sights. And because I haven't trained with it enough to when you pull it out and, and present it, it takes me a second to find that red dot, you know? I mean, because my son, he has one, you know, and it was just like, I, I don't know. It felt weird to me. So I guess you get
0: used to it, but
2: yeah. But once you get used to it, it's pretty darn sweet. Yeah, i, bet. I can tell
0: you. <laughs> hey, so before we get into the next part, what's your uh, everyday carry now? What do you like? Well, I like a Sig three sixty five XL.
2: That's kinda... he says as he's wearing his six hour academy t shirt.
0: Yeah, we can. Say, I should have known it was coming. Yeah, <laughs> I have to. I have to plug it a little bit, you know. So hey,
2: I like the Sig. when I retired from DEA. I had the Sig forty cow and and. Uh, one of my old enforcement groups from Atlanta is in the retirement gift gave me a Glock forty cal, and that 's pretty sweet too but i always like the SIGs.
0: well i 've got the two thirty nine that 's the compact one um, i 've got a uh, beretta model ninety six but the one i like uh, and i 've come to like it is the i 've got a glock uh, model twenty three a forty caliber and i but you know that 's the thing too it's just it 's a difference in guest taste but I, I finally got to the point, I said, look, I want the same trigger pull no matter what, each time. I don't want to have to worry about having a, a double action, then everything is single action and decocking. You know, you just want to, you know, how can you eliminate the number of things that could go wrong and keep it as simple as possible? So I, I'm getting to the point now where I prefer things that are all double action because I can train the same way, the trigger pulls the same way each time. Yep. Yep, I agree.
2: Well, and the six so easy to break down. Easy to clean, get it no, back together to quickly.
0: So is that Glock too? I mean, you just you you basically depress two detents, you know, at the front, and that the whole slide comes off, the barrel comes out, the spring comes out, and boom.
2: Yeah, but do you know any idiots that didn't clear the chamber and pulled the trigger before they could break the gun down and shot themselves or somebody?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, uh, Army Basic Training, Fort Leonard Wood, July nineteen seventy nine. Fort Lost in the Woods, Misery, Private Blazek, the only guy I ever heard about. You know, how because when you're shooting there during basic yeah, and you fire, we had M16s, you fire them down range and they, they, but you go to leave the range. Okay. Charge it, clear it, charge it, clear it. You know, you click. Mm-hmm. He's the only guy after the second time he pulls the charging handle back um, and pulls the trigger, a fricking round goes off. I mean, it's like, how does that happen? I mean, how does it, we had drill sergeants coming, I think, from eight counties away just to get in on the ass beating and the beat down that was yeah. going on on that one. It's like
2: not paying attention,
0: not paying attention. But anyway, we digress. That's our third digression drinking game. Uh, you can do that. So, hey, let's let's talk because we want to kind of get into, uh, you went, there is a specific term that you use too, and it's dev group. So, I mean, you're, in the others are SEAL teams, but let's talk about your transition. Uh, you do, went through advanced sniper school. Um, and you're eventually in DevGrew. So, how does that happen?
1: So, on our way back from uh, uh, basically Desert Storm from that Marg, uh, we get a notification. What's a marg
0: again? Tell the,
1: it's a Mediterranean, a med uh, float, a Mediterranean deployment. Okay. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, your own ships with the whole battle fleet of ships that you go over and stay in the med for six months and then you switch out and another group takes your spot, you know, that way you've got a presence, you know, right there and, in, and in, in, right outside the middle East, you know? So anyway, so we're, we flew back from uh, Northern Iraq uh, and Turkey back down to the port and then got on the ship and then, Hey, we're heading home. And uh, so we're stopping, uh, basically off of Gibraltar because we get notified that we're to support uh, a group coming in, uh, basically, they're jumping in, you know, and so we know who it is. And uh, we don't, I mean, we don't know, who, we don't know them, but we know we're like, well, who else would be doing that flying from the States and then jumping in to do a mission, you know, uh, and so a training mission, got, you know, but uh, still, you know, it's pretty cool for us, you know. So we they let our zodiacs down off the side of the ship and we're all out in the ocean waiting, and here comes this. This 141, and the guys jump, boosh, you know, land. We pick them up, and you know, he's, you know, getting the boats and head into Gibraltar, you know. And so we're like, all right, well, good seeing you guys. And they're like, no, no, you're part of this. You're, you're gonna, you know, basically help us with this deal, you know. And so we're like, okay. And so they got us rooms, and we kind of hung out in Gibraltar with these guys, you know. And uh, so. Uh, our platoon commander's talking to their commander, and uh, and we'd been put out in probably, on almost every mission we did in Iraq, we were put out in minefields, okay? And so, you know, I had to pick our way through these minefields. They had these bouncing beddies and these little Italian toe poppers and all this other stuff that they just litter an area with. So. I'd have to get through this thing and then basically everybody had to walk where I did. And I was, so I was a point man. So
0: no, no, so, we don't call that point, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Retard, uh, more likely. <laughs> so, uh, so our commander's telling their commander about, Hey, I got a guy that's a good point, man. And they go, they're like, well, Hey, he can lead us into the target. And so we get in on the planning and they, they say, Hey, look, okay, this is the target and this, that, and the other thing. So I end up leading this squadron of these guys, you know, uh, from dev group into a target. We hit the target and we exfil and then we're back at the hotel at the bar. And so, uh, uh, we're and having, you, drinks.
0: this is a training mission. You it's said, A right? training
1: mission. Yep. So we're having drinks with these guys and, uh, the uh, squadron, well, back then it was, it was, they were teams. Okay. Now they've turned into squadrons. Okay. So, uh, the, the team chief asked me, Hey, goes, Hey, when you get back, I want you to interview. And, uh, I was like, well, look, I've only got one deployment, you know? And he's, he tells me, he's like, well, look, you got more combat experience than anybody, almost in our whole deal, you know? And so I want you to interview when you get back. And so I was like, okay. You know, so I get back, interview, and get orders to go, uh, to dev group. Okay. And so, uh,
0: and, uh, dev group is an acronym. So let everybody know. I mean, it's shortened. What's it short for? It's Naval Special Warfare Development Group. And formerly
2: known as SEAL Team 6.
0: That you said that. So Mm -hmm. uh, see, there there you go. I can neither confirm nor deny. It's commonly mm -hmm. referred to as SEAL Team 6 and used to be at an undisclosed location until a certain uh, politician told everybody where SEAL Team 6 was located after the bin Laden raid. But we won't go there. Yep. Somewhere in Virginia. So, mm-hmm. uh, I heard, yeah. Some yeah, place where we can there. sit and watch it from the comfort of our balconies.
2: What is watch that? It? Damn, damn. Uh, um, yeah. Keep going. Keep going.
1: So anyway, uh, so I go interview and, uh, I get orders for dev group, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, in sniper school when I get this notification and end up, uh, graduating sniper school.
0: Uh, I get asked to return. Uh, uh, at- no, 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 You're glossing over. You graduated sniper school how as the top?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, was, I ended up top shooter and the honor graduate for sniper school. Uh, and then, uh, so if you're the honor graduate, they ask you, you know, if you want to come back as an instructor, you can come back as an instructor. So that spring of uh, 1992, I went back as an instructor and I had. Uh, uh, my One of my students, so they, they pair you with uh, two guys, two SEALs, and one of them was uh, Britt Silvinsky, who actually ended up winning the Medal of Honor uh, uh, in Afghanistan. So uh, he was one of my, uh, I guess, trainees. Cool. So, uh, yeah. And so anyway, so after that, I came back, Virginia Beach, and I showed up over at
0: Dev Group to start the training there.
2: And that was in 92?
0: 92, so how does that training differ, um, with as compared to what you did with SEAL Team 8, you know, in STT?
1: It is, uh, it, it is just way more advanced, uh, as far as like free fall techniques. It's, uh, a lot more shooting. You'll, you, you'll shoot. Till your
0: finger's bloody?
1: Yeah. You'll shoot 50,000 rounds just during that training, you know, which is six months, you know, and you'll shoot probably 50,000 rounds, um, uh, and then, uh, you, a lot of, uh, in the house training, you know, what it's called a uh, CQB, uh, and, uh, close quarter battle is what it stands for. And so that's, uh, it's basically what Dev Group's mission is, is hostage rescue, you know, <clears throat> maritime environment, uh, uh, ships, you know, uh, uh, going over the beach, you know, that's what they do. and so. Uh, our mission is basically focused on that, you know, and so uh, whereas the the other SEAL teams uh, are more focused on a, a, a wider array of stuff, they they focus mainly on uh, those two missions, and they they recruit uh, basically the top one percent of all the SEALs. So
0: is that something? Is that something that's uh, do you apply for that, or is that one of those things to where they have to recognize you and you get invited?
1: Well. So what will happen is, is they will, it's almost a word of mouth thing. And it was back then. And what happens is, Hey, uh, they'll be like, Hey, there's interviews for dev group or whatever, you know, and then if you qualify to be interviewed, then, uh, you know, you've met all the requ you know, whatever the requirements, then they will uh, grant you an interview and you can fly out and interview and then. What they'll do is they ask everybody else about you, you know, and so that's kind of how it was back then. I'm not exactly sure how they do it now, but it's somewhere close to that, I'm sure.
0: What? uh, So two things. What was the interview like, but what is the most important thing they're looking for when they look for somebody to put onto DevGrew?
1: Well, they they really, uh, from what I gathered from it, was they look for someone that's, uh, I guess, a mature because it's, it's, it's morely it's, it's older guys usually that go there, you know, uh, somebody that they don't have to train basically. Uh, and that's not a liability. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, the goal they want to have is like somebody they can trust. I mean, trust is huge in, uh, both the Navy and army units I was in. I mean, uh, trust is everything. If they can't trust you, then I mean, you can be the greatest operator in the world, but they got to be able to trust you with everything. So
2: So you met, you passed the, you passed the interview, obviously.
1: Yeah. I mean, the interview that I sat through for it was more of a formality because really my interview was back in Gibraltar at that bar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, uh, because the guy that interviewed me in Gibraltar was on my board when I went to interview and so it was talking more about the mission we did in Gibraltar, talking about what we did in Desert Storm and this, that and the other thing. And, and pretty much. All right, well, we'll talk. We'll let you know. And then
0: was part of the interview, how much you could drink and not and not throw up and pass out? No, that wasn't
1: part of it. I mean, that was part of Marcinko's interview for those guys back in those days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, they didn't ask me that. So I, you know, I didn't divulge it.
2: And you're still, you're still based out of Deep Creek, Virginia, little right? Creek. Little Creek. Yeah, I'm and still so you a SEAL Team 8 guy. So you really don't have to move too far?
0: Yeah, just down, the, I mean, you know, a little ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a little ways I, down the road, Murph. You know, a few. I've been there, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you talk about the training. So what's the, what's the thing you do now? Um, you're still SEAL Team 8, but now you've got the interview, you've passed it. How does the official transition happen to Dev Group?
1: Uh, well, you'll, you'll get orders. You know They'll send you orders. Now you're being uh, uh, transferred to Naval Special Warfare Development Group. You show up over there. Basically, uh, <laughs> you're, you're at the command now. You get issued all your gear, and uh, you, basically you'll report here, and you report to uh, uh, a certain building, and you meet all your classmates, basically, that are all getting in there at the same time, and fill out some paperwork, uh, go through a psyche eval, and, uh, and your training starts basically, you know, which is the, when I was there, it was an eight week shooting program. And so you basically, you're shooting 50,000 rounds in eight weeks. So
0: what, what kind so of weapons sweet. are you covering?
1: MP5s, M4s, uh, and back then it was a SIG 226.
0: yeah man. That's a, that's a lot of cleaning. Uh, i tell you, you know, the worst part though, some people say it's the cleaning that is, you know, the worst part is. And this is the part they always get wrong in the movies. So you you can put a stake through the heart of this uh, uh, little gem of uh, misinformation is that it's like you see a couple of movies. Guys are not sitting there when they're in the plane, getting ready to jump out at the last second, looking at their magazine and pushing in three or four more rounds. Like, oh, I got to load my magazine. I got to load, you know, all of this other stuff. Right. You got all that stuff done before you get out there. Right. You'd probably be fired if you did that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'll be it's, honest
2: not with you. it's not a weapon. It's a paperweight.
0: If I looked over
1: at you and you're like, got your magazine out of your weapon and, and we're getting ready to jump in, I'd be like, okay, we're going to talk about this when we get <laughs> on the ground. It's like, what were you doing, bro?
0: Yeah. You know? There's two fingers that get sore when you're firing all that run as your trigger finger, but the other one, right? How did you, it's the, the it's loading. I finally had to get to the point, I had to get myself some loaders because it just, you get to a certain age, it hurts too much and stuff, but loading those rounds is almost as bad as firing the put rounds.
1: Yeah, you just put a glove on and push through it, man. I mean, because, you know, there wasn't none of that back then. It was just, hey, get it in there. And so you'd spend all morning loading your magazines pretty much. And then, you know, okay, the rest of the day is, its you're getting it on. But uh, that's like a uh, you, you speak about the thing about look at the, putting a few more rounds in there. How about when the guy's like in
0: the house now he shucks around in the chamber? Oh, that's that's one of our we talk about that all the time. You people who walk around without anything in the chamber, you're walking around with a an empty weapon. You just might as well throw it at the guy because there is none of this getting ready to go in the door and they shuck a
1: shotgun round in. You're like,
2: yeah, bro, you just gave away all your stuff. Come on, bro.
1: Let's yep. <laughs> Let's get that done. You know, as soon as you're at your freaking last hey, point of protection.
2: Well, you know, like we said about the Netflix series Narcos, Hollywood will never let the truth get in the way of a good story.
0: Yeah. No, I hear you. they won't. So, um, so you get a sign there, you go through your training. So how, do, how does it work after that? How big uh, compared to the other SEAL teams is SEAL Team 6 bigger, smaller in terms of number of people, umber, number of operators?
1: So we lost a bunch of guys in the training. We probably started with 36 and maybe 16 of us made it. Uh, Why'd they they fall out? Various reasons. I mean, just uh, performance. I mean, you know, anything. I mean, there it's, you think the, you think seal training buds is Spartan. This is super Spartan existence. So if you can't run, if you can't shoot, if you can't keep up, if you can't swim, If you can't, if you're weak at anything, they just, man, they'll ping on that and they'll get rid of you. So, I mean, weakness is not tolerated.
0: You know, It's pure Darwinism, survival of the fittest. If you're not fit
1: across all things, you're just not going to make it. If you can't do everything well, then you're not going to make it. So, and they find that out real quick, you know, so they're like, okay, if you can't, I mean, if an instructor can beat you on a run, then you're, there's a target on your back. Or, you know, cause even then the instructors will run with you and they'll swim with you and they'll do stuff with you, you know? And so they'll shoot with you, you know? And so, you know, you, you better be, you better be on your game or th- there's a target on you. And so, you know, just different things, you know, guys would, you know, they, they weren't physically able to, you know, do pull-ups with 20 pounds strapped to them. You know, you got to do 20 pull-ups with 25 pounds strapped to you, you know, just, stuff like
0: that. I mean, that gets rid of a lot of people. I mean, try it sometime. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, no, thank you. Um, (laughs) tipping one of my favorite Belgian beers is about as much strength training as I'm going to do. Well, I I still do that, but it's like, uh, yeah, pull-ups. No, man, the, especially when you're a bigger guy, um, Uh, Well, you know, we had some big
1: guys in our class too. And so that was, man, that was the bane of their existence was that test.
0: I mean, you know, 25 pounds. You you might be strong, but you put 25 pounds on top of somebody who's 200, you know, you're already moving a lot of weight. And that's why that extra 25 may not seem like much, but man. But, and the thing is, is because the reason they do this is say, we'd
1: have like three caving ladders. A caving ladder is about 30 feet long. And so you're swimming up to an oil rig. And you've got them three deep. So basically, you got to hook it. A guy like my size has to climb this ladder. Basically, get up there, rehook it, hook another one, hook another one. So there's three of them hooked together. And now these guys got to come out of the water with all their gear on and climb this cabin ladder, which is 90 feet, basically, you know, and get up here and do a mission when you get to the top of this thing. So. It isn't just about hey, we're just doing this to get rid of people. It's about okay, can you do this because this is what you're going to have to do, you know, on this caving ladder coming out of the water, and yeah. being soaked with water adds a lot of weight as well. Absolutely, and it's a smoker. I mean, you know, you're. For, I mean, when you get to the top of that thing, like I said, I'm, I'm a lead climber, so uh, I, I would they'd hook it. And I'd I'd be like, all right, well, I hope it holds. <laughs> and then I would ease up this thing, you know, and I'd get up there and I'd tie it off. I'd be like, okay, I'd tie this one off with a piece of uh, tubular nylon, the thing that saved my life in the helicopter, so that it wouldn't bail off on these guys when the bigger guys would get on it. And then I'd they'd send me up another one. I'd hook another one up the next, you know, 30 feet. And then so then everybody could get up this thing. So, but, you know, it sounds brutal. Hey, we're going to get rid of people because they can't do this. But there's there's a reasoning behind it.
2: Yeah, you want them to survive. You don't want to put them in a situation where they're going to fail.
1: You don't want that, you know. I mean, it's like, hey, I mean, and okay, what are you going to hang out in the water while we're all up here fighting on this old rig? Well, that's know? the other
0: thing too. If one person fails, it brings down the entire, the rest of the unit, right? I mean, you can't have one person dictate the survivability of the rest of the unit because they can't perform.
1: It's just like skydiving. You get out, and you, if you can't get in that circle and fall with everybody else, and then break away and pull your shoe and land with everybody, you're worthless to us. So we had we lost guys because they couldn't skydive. We lot, you know, shooting test, you got this shooting test. And if you can't pass the shooting test, which is a pretty tough shooting test, then you're out. I mean, just you go in a house and you forget to put your weapon on safe after you've engaged targets and you do that twice, you're out. You shoot a hostage target, you're out. So, I mean, there's all kinds of just little stuff, you
2: know, that. Well, this is the elite of the elite.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it has to be that way. Is there a test to become one of your friends? Do you put people through tests? <laughs> Just be a good dude yeah. <laughs> Or you're out. yeah hey so uh so now, during the time uh, you were with Devgroove, uh, can you give us an idea of some of the missions you went on? uh
1: so I'll be honest with you. I mean, as far as real world missions, we only did a couple and it was uh, uphold democracy, uh, where we were going to go in, uh, Sadris had taken control from Aristide back in the 94. And, uh, we were going to go in, our mission was to go in, I was a sniper at the time in in our squadron and, uh, we were going to go in and, and shoot all the palace guards so that the rest of the, uh, squadron could land. And, uh, Uh, basically take over the palace in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Okay, So we're basically lifting off of this thing, uh, the carrier, the uh, USS America. And uh, Colin Powell and Jimmy Carter, I think, came down and gave Sadris like $500 million to leave uh, without a firefight. And so basically they're like, okay, he took the money. So we sat back down and then it ended up being us going in with uh, general Shelton, who was the joint Chiefs of staff at the time and providing a PSD for him in that mob. I mean, it was a mob environment. They're like trying to flip the car over and we're having to fight these people off. And so, uh, it turned into that. PSD is a personal security detail. That's it. Yep. So we were basically guarding. Wait a minute. So
0: you mean I can go take over a country and to avoid a firefight, if you give me five hundred million dollars, that's all it takes. You know, I feel like
1: taking over a country. I mean, you know. Hey, Murph, I got a new business model. What year was this? Ninety-four.
2: I thought, and I I haven't looked it up. I thought, uh, I thought this was all done in the Clinton administration.
0: It was. Yep. No, Carter oh, was Carter, Carter was uh, doing his uh, uh, you know, kind of being the official ambassador, like he would go to North Korea and other places like that.
1: Him and Colin Powell flew down there, and uh, I mean, you know, I don't mean to throw him on the bus, but you know, hey, hey, th- they ended up uh, averting bloodshed, so I guess that's a good thing, you know. But uh, that's what happened. I mean, that's just the facts.
0: Five hundred million U.S. taxpayer dollars to give to some third world despot, and that's what we were told. So. Like I said, I'm not. I can't
1: go on the record and say for sure that's what they gave them, but that's what we were told. So, you know, and like I said, they averted bloodshed. I'm not putting them down or nothing, but we were ready to go kill some bad guys.
2: (laughs) So, yeah. You know, you you see me shaking my head here, and you probably don't know this, Kevin, but uh, Javier and I were going to indict Aristide for drug trafficking after Escobar was killed, and and that's why because I was thinking you were talking about the Carter administration. I knew it was Clinton.
0: No, yeah. I mean, he was not a good guy. Don't well, we? that no, was no. December not of 93 all. when Pablo assumed room temperature, and now you're talking just a few months later.
2: Yeah, we had a, we had one of his men came in, and he found religion, and he gave up the ghost, and and we boxed him. He passed. The the agency boxed him, and he passed, and we actually brought him to the United States. This is declassified, so we can talk about it now. And, um, we're going to indict Jean-Bertrand Aristide, the president of Haiti, and get that call through the chain of command from the White House saying, no, you're not. You know, and we try to stay very ap- apolitical on this podcast here, but we all know what happened because down the road, the Clinton administration reinstated Aristide as the president of Haiti. And, you know, and and you don't know this either, Kevin, but Harvey and I did some contract work after DEA, and we were going down to uh, to DevGrew for a three-day training class. It was all nothing tactical, nothing, you know, it was still classified, but nothing tactical. And met a bunch of your guys that, oh, yeah, I was on that operation where we reinstated him. You know, and for us, it's extremely interesting. I know the, our listeners probably think I'm I'm digressing here and you're going to have to drink after I finish this. But
0: <laughs> No, that's technically not a digression. That's actually, you're making a relevant point, point. Uh, one of the few that you've actually made during all of these 67 podcasts. Here's a relevant that's point That's a good one,
2: you. yes. You see that one? <laughs> 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 but it's, I, I, we'll have to talk af- offline a little bit about that too, you know. The, I, it's just interest. This is. I, I
1: remember I was on the I was on the detail when uh, General Shelton we went into sadrus's house, and so Sadrus was the the bad guy at the time. He's the one who took over the country, and I can remember sitting under the window of uh, uh, when he's sitting talking to this guy through an interpreter, and he tells uh, uh Sadris, he goes, "You'll be out of this country in the next six hours because I've got men right outside here that'll hunt you down like the rats you are," and that's what General Shelton told him. And I heard it's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We were, it was, was, you know, he was facilitating the Medellin cartel cocaine loads coming out of Columbia, staging, using Haiti as a transshipment point on Haitian military bases, and then shooting it into South Florida. So, So no respect for that guy at all.
1: He had his, uh, his guards were outside, and we had guns. They had guns. So, we're looking at each other. And they had in a cage, about a 20 by 20 cage, he had a big monitor lizard. I mean, a huge son of a gun. And there were shoes all in that cage. <sighs> People's shoes. Yep. So. Well, you
2: know, the difference was you guys had your guns. They had theirs. They probably didn't have bullets in theirs. Probably not. But, but we <laughs> were, They
0: weren't. I, I doubt that they went through the kind of training that you guys did too. So that wouldn't have been a very long firefight. I have no, no doubt. So. uh, uh
1: So uh, the, the other thing, really, the big thing that happened there was uh, basically the Battle of the Black Sea, Black Hawk Down. Well, so uh I was in the team room basically. And, uh, uh, I forget, I think the squadron commander came in and was like, and my team leader, his nickname was dirty. And he said, uh, Hey dirty. I said, you want to go, you want to go to Somalia? And, uh, dirty's like, well, what, where's that? You know? And he's like, "What's well, Africa. And he goes, what are we doing? He goes, what's well, a humanitarian mission, you know, with the army boys, you know? And, uh, dirty's like, heck no. He goes, send the snipers, you know? And so uh, <laughs> we go on a climbing trip after he tells the commander this. The snipers, they send four SEALs, four dev group guys on uh, with the Army guys on this mission and getting the biggest firefight since Vietnam, basically, you know. And Dirty is a guy that sniffs the chamber of his pistol like every morning to wake up. I mean, that's how... <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, serious he is about wanting to get it, get it on, you know? And so, and, and once that happened, it was just, I mean, he was inconsolable, you know, but so that happened while I was there. And then those guys came back, they got, uh, they all got silver stars and, uh, I'm still friends with them. And so, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, ours is mostly training and then, you know, it's just pretty lean back in those days, you know, cause you know, real risk adverse, you know, the Clinton administration.
0: But, I, you know, before you go too far, we always honor people, look, um, because I, I had the chance to meet uh, and get the book from uh, Michael Durant. He was one of the Black Hawk pilots that uh, two guys, two Army guys saved, uh, Master Sergeant Gary Gordon and Sergeant First Class Randall Sugar. These guys did what we would consider the most unlikely thing, but they they went into that to save everybody knowing that they were going to lose their lives. They were not going to win that firefight. And they they took out An inordinate number of people, they both won the Medal of Honor. But the thing that chaps my ass to this day is the guy we went there to take out, guess what? We ended up making friends with him, what, two days later? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Should have put a bullet through that guy's brain, made him room temperature, and at least evened the score a little bit. What they did to our Rangers, what they did to our Special Forces people, the way they treated our folks over there, Um, we just should have turned that place into a fucking parking lot.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty much a slap in the face to the guys that were there. Uh, and then fast forward, when I was in the Army, all of those guys were, that was my outfit, that was my same squadron that was those guys that was in that, you know. And so, I mean, you know, uh, to know those guys and be friend with those guys now, you know, you're, it's just kind of like, man, you know, I mean, because all those guys are on the wall in our squadron, you know, and so it's pretty sad deal.
2: When JP and I were in Medine, they have, uh, you know, had DevGrew and uh, Delta there with us for 18 months. And a lot of the guys we worked with, I think they were coming in on 60-day TDYs, and then they were rotating out over to Mogadishu. And some guys we saw come back, and, and I, I told you on the pre-call, Kevin, that uh, there was a, a DevGrew guy from West Virginia. I, sorry, I can't remember his name now, but I understand he was one of the guys that was killed over there. Okay. But just, I mean, it's... That's why I'm so excited to have you on the show, because, you know, had the opportunity to work with with some of your predecessors in both agencies. And, and, you know, we to this day, we were just in Alabama speaking at a law enforcement conference two days ago. And we make a point of telling everybody if we're if Javier and I are ever kidnapped, we want either DevGrew or, or Delta coming to save us because I've seen what you guys can do. And it's phenomenal. I mean, I would I actually trust you with my life. That's it's just amazing
0: what you guys have accomplished.
1: Well, we would hope so.
0: No, Jeff, you're being humble now. You know. Well, <laughs> let, let's let, let's get past your humbleness and let's let's talk about some uh, things here too. Because, um, you you didn't obviously retire from the Navy. So tell us about your decision. You were in Devgrew for about what three years?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I basically when everything was said and done, I, I separated in '96. I mean, my reserve time and all that. I was out in '96. Okay. Uh, it was just one of those. Uh, I had two small kids at the time. Uh, I mean, one born in 93, one born in 95. And, uh, and I don't know, I was in to go do my job, uh, basically to go, you know, hunt bad guys and, and save the world, you know, and so we weren't doing a whole lot of that. We were doing a lot of skydiving and drinking and, and uh, training and, you know, and and so I don't know, I just, uh, I just felt like it was. It was time for me to try to go do something else that, you know, uh, if, if this is what my career was going to be, I'd rather go and I'm, I'm a country boy. I'd rather be home and hunting and fishing and, and, you know, uh, living life, you know, rather than being gone from my family all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, And like you say, it's one thing to be gone, but you're operational, you're actually doing missions, things are being accomplished, but it's another thing is you almost get to the point you get training fatigue, right? How long can you train before you actually pull the trigger and do something?
1: Yeah, my hat's off to the guys that uh, stuck it out. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, I got out, you know, and, and I almost feel guilty uh, about some of the guys they stuck it out, you know, and they just stayed and, and, and then ended up, uh, you know, they were the leadership, actually, when the war started, you know, which I'm glad I didn't because I was just a nug when the war started. So I got to come from the ground up, you know, from the beginning of the war to the basically till it. What's
0: a what's a nug?
1: Uh, basically a nobody, you know, I I was, uh, you know, I was kind of a grunt. You mean just, yeah, just kind of a, you know, because by the time that the war started, all my, uh, people that were in my era were master chiefs and senior chiefs and all that in the Navy. So they were in charge of, you know, uh, the squadrons and stuff. So when it came to kicking doors and, and, you know, going on target and this, that, and the other thing, they weren't doing that hardly anymore. It was, you know, it was more, hey, they're in charge. But I was basically, I went back in the military, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, uh, as an E-5.
0: So, you know, I wasn't in charge of anybody. (laughs) But there's some advantages to that. But let's talk about that, because you talk about you got out and you liked hunting and fishing. You didn't let that go to waste. You went back to doing some hunting and fishing, but in a law enforcement role. I did. Yeah. I worked with my dad
1: for a little while and I was waiting on my, uh, I applied to be a wildlife officer in North Carolina because you didn't need a college degree. Uh, but, you know, most of them had college degrees. You was either college degree or you had military. And so uh, so you weren't really competitive if you didn't have one or the other. You know, but North Carolina didn't require it, so I applied and I uh, was just kind of waiting on the interview process and all that. I was working with my dad, who owns a hosiery mill. They they uh, he bleaches and dyes socks for like Kmart and Walmart and all that. And he doesn't do it anymore, but back then he did. And so I was working with him. I was doing uh, construction work with uh, two old carpenters in my hometown, and and you know just kind of doing whatever I had to do, you know, till I, I got this job. And because I wasn't retired or anything, I wasn't making money, you know, from the military or anything like that. So, uh, applied for the wildlife, went down, did their PT test and, and all that and ended up, uh, getting an offer to go to school in, uh, May of
0: 97. And so, yep. So I started my wildlife school. So, um, so when you got on, had you, had you, you know, had this crossed your mind when you got out of uh, the Navy, out of DevGrew, It's right. like you still got a, you still got an action addiction, right? You want to be doing something. You, you, I don't foresee you after doing all of this of you just going to be a nice little farmer hoeing your corn and you know tending your rows. You wanted to be involved in something, right? Yeah, I just felt like I hadn't done, uh, you know, everything I was supposed to do.
1: You know, I mean, it was just one of those. I wanted to serve still in a capacity. Uh, I loved hunting and fishing. And so I didn't really want to be just a regular police officer, you know, dealing with domestics and, and all that. But, uh, I, it's, it was something that really, uh, I guess the old saying is, uh, uh, find what you love, love what you do, you know, or whatever, a job. And you'll you never know?
0: work another day in your life.
1: Yeah. And you'll never work another day in your life. So, uh, I mean, as a while, I loved it absolutely loved it. I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about my time as a wildlife officer. Let's
0: let's talk about the PT test to get on the wildlife because that had to be just like really, really tough.
2: They take you out to the ocean?
1: <laughs> no, I'll be honest with you, though. I mean, it was not, I don't know what it is now, but back then it was, uh, you know, you're bench pressing, you're running, uh, you know, and push-ups and it's, it's pretty close. And you got this step test where you do this thing where you're stepping up on a thing and then they test your, uh, your pulse, you know, to see where your pulse is on this thing, you know. And so, I mean, you know, that was a little different, but. Uh, and then once you got into school, I mean, we we started the school at, we were at the university of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so we're in a, like a dorm room at, that's where you started it. And you're doing PT every day. And, uh, the guy running the PT was an animal, you know? And so, uh, and you're laying, it's cold. I mean, the, the track is wet, it's rain and everybody's soaking wet. Are you wet. having
0: flashbacks at this point? To... Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm
1: like all these, I'm 27 years old. You know, and all these college kids and stuff. I mean, I'm just thinking, man. You know, I mean, they're pretty tough. I mean, you know, I mean, they've never done anything like this. You know, and I mean, we lost people. You know, in this school. You know, and it was just like, I mean, but my hats off to them. I mean, I mean, you know, they they suffered through that. You know, and and uh, and but like I said, I, I just really enjoyed my time.
2: Well, a lot of guys that that take the wildlife job, whether it's Department of Natural Resources or whatever they call it in the state that you're in. Are good old boys that you know they've grown up hunting and fishing. They know the woods. They're in decent shape, you know, because they do spend so much time
0: out in the woods. Well, and the other thing too is, when you're out there, you're you're out there by yourself. You, you don't you, a lot of these places. You don't work in teams. Like we had Mike Neal on. We had uh, the Arkansas Game and Fish officer that got into the shootout with the two sovereign citizens. You know, you're out there by yourself all the time, and it's it's actually a very dangerous job. And, and mm-hmm. you know why? Because everybody you deal with, good chance that they're going to be armed.
1: Well, and not only that, when you're talking about dealing with a uh, a drunk driver is bad enough. But when you're dealing with a drunk boater and you're both on boats and you're fighting with this guy on a boat, you know, I mean, you're going into water. And I, with my background, I'm like, well, I'm good going into water. You know, we'll yeah. go to the bottom of this lake is what we're going to do. You know, I'm just gonna swim you to the bottom of this lake and then you're going to let go of me.
0: Going to be like a crocodile, you know, the thrash.
1: I mean, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and, and just because you're laying on bear bait, you're going into the mountains. So uh, we go into Pisgah and we uh, go in there and stay all night laying, waiting for them to come and release their hounds on bears off of like, four foot deep, uh, honey buns, you know, and I mean, just, I mean, it's just, uh, it was pretty close kind of to what I'd been doing. You know, I mean, uh, you're chasing guys, uh, basically with no lights on, they don't do that anymore, of course, but, uh, you'd be chasing guys with no lights on, flick your blue lights on and dude jumps out of a uh, driver's seat or past your seat with an AK 47. And then he takes off running through the woods. I mean, you know, you're Alrighty. just Oh yeah. You know, I mean, so it's basically it's you're getting it on, you know, just in a different capacity, you know. And so, yeah, you know, I just take off running well, Mark, after him.
0: Look at his eyes light up when he said that. He jumped out with an AK forty seven. It's on. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I ended up chasing this guy through the woods. I pointed my Pistol at
1: the driver, and I told him, I said, don't move. And he goes, I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) And so I just took off after this guy, and I turned my flashlight off, and I'm just running after him. And luckily, he was a little drunk. So he'd stop and turn around, and I'd just get behind a tree, and and then he'd keep running, and I'd just, he'd, and then he he, he could hear me a little bit, you know. And then eventually, I got so close to him that I kicked his foot behind his other foot, and he landed on top of that AK. I think, I'm sorry, I think it was an SKS. I mean, either way, it's an assault rifle. So, uh, he's got his hands on this SKS and I'm on his back now and I've got my gun in the back of his head and I'm just like, Hey, I said, show me your hands, you know? And, and he mumbles something and I'm like, Hey, I, I need you to show me your hands, you know? And he won't do it. So I had a, a, a Beretta 92 F, I think a 40 cow. So I cocked the hammer on that thing. He showed me his hands. And so, <laughs> but I mean, you get in these circumstances like that, you know, and you are by yourself. Yep. So mm-hmm. my hat's off to them, man. I mean, they got a tough job.
2: Absolutely.
0: well, absolutely. Now, when you joined, though, uh, they probably saw, you know, from when you filled out the application and stuff, you were in the Navy. But did you disclose DevGrew?
1: No, I don't I don't think so. I mean, I, it was just you're a SEAL, you know, because, I mean. You, I, but and, you disclosed the fact
0: you were a SEAL, though.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, hey, what were you, you know, and this, that, and other thing. I mean, what'd you do? Well, I was Naval Special Warfare, you know. And, oh, and it's just like me saying DevGrew, you know what DevGrew is, you know, and so they know what Naval Special Warfare is, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's SEALs, you know, and so, but yeah,
0: they, they knew that what I was. Did did any of the people in your class appreciate what you had been through or the training you'd been through? Did they understand or how much did you disclose of that?
1: I guess, I mean, uh, I had to box a couple guys and they appreciated. it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I, you know, I mean, I, I mean the guys I'm telling you, it was just a really good experience. Uh, we, we went to driving schools. We went to the North Carolina highway patrol driving school. Uh, they were great. Uh, the firearms training was really good. Uh, uh, it was just, uh, uh, a great experience. I mean, I, if, for any young person, I, I would recommend it. If uh, if you want to go and make a difference, and you know, when they're talking about saving the planet and all that, these guys do. I mean, you know, by catching bad guys and by you know uh, doing what they do. I mean, they definitely protect not only the people but you know the planet and everything else. It's a
2: whole lot more just going out and checking somebody on that's fishing on the bank, see if they got a license. It's Absolutely, a lot more to it than
1: that. You've watched them a while before you've checked them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's guy, he took off his boots. He's in his socks, you know, but, but this time he, that's yeah. a really
1: good tactic. Good this time he brings
0: enough. water and food with him in case he has to watch a guy for more than 24 hours.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, but I got to tell you though, too, you know, you're right, Murph. I mean, some of them, they got a bad rap because we had one guy, I won't mention his name, but a uh, uh, fish and wildlife guy. And his thing was we had the Arkansas River, not the Arkansas, but the Arkansas River, You would never have any water in there except when it was, you have a big flood or, you know, a bunch of rain or something would happen. And so the water was maybe less than knee deep and there were people out there. He went out and started writing tickets left and right to these people for not having a personal flotation device. And I'm going, that's like me stopping everybody for having a tag light out and writing them for no tag light. I mean, at some point it's like, yeah, (laughs) unfortunately. Somebody go like
2: up uh, clean up all those chicken feathers floating around out there from all the chicken shit that was just going on
0: <laughs> but but you know, but that's that's the same thing with anything but but to your point though, um I ended up getting to know the uh, head of the Alaska state troopers uh, at a lot of the chiefs of police conference, and they had the their Alaska state troopers also has the wildlife folks. And to see what those guys would do, you know, when the Nat Geo would have the specials and those guys would be they flying their planes and watching what people are doing. To your point, it's natural resources. It's like you want to protect the natural resources of the planet, be mm-hmm. good stewards of the land that you're on and don't let people go out and do stuff, which is, you know, we're uh, I'm not getting off on a soapbox, but it's more making a statement. It's like. We've got to be careful because my wife's a big gardener. We've got, we feed the birds, and we're huge uh, advocates about planting the type of stuff that brings butterflies in and hummingbirds and things like that. And to see what people are doing that have no appreciation for the world around them, the, these fertilizers they're using, these um, pesticides that are just killing off untold numbers of butterflies and things like that, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, during my time there, we did a
1: huge sting where they had like, they were killing black bears here in Western North Carolina by the boatload. And just all they do is cut their gallbladder and their paws off. And so they were selling them to the, you know, the market over China and, and they'd have freezers full of these things. And so that was our main focus back then was stopping that ring of all that. So, Hey,
0: did you ever get into a situation, uh, that was as hairy as anything, whether you were with wildlife as hairy as anything you'd been uh, when you were in the SEALs? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I
1: mean, I had a a different appreciation for, uh, and I was a little older too, you know, so I kind of could, you know what I'm saying? I kind of felt like I knew uh, when a situation was getting ready to go sideways, you know, and I could get in front of it, you know, whereas, you know, when you're, in a battle in combat, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, if an RPG is going to take out your helicopter, you're going to hit head on with another helicopter or, so, I mean, you know, comparing it is a little bit hard, you know, I mean, I just, I've been in fights and boats and, and everything else, but it was almost fun compared to what I had been doing. You know, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, even fighting a guy, you know, you're just like, cause you know, I mean, uh, it terrified some people, but once you're in it, you're in it, you know, and enjoy it. And that's what I told my new guy was with me. I was in this fight with a guy on a boat and, and he's just like, what are you laughing about? You know? And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm "Like, well, I mean, it's so hilarious, you know, the, the way the guy was kind of drunk and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just kind of laughing about it, you know? And, and, uh, he's just like, I can't believe you thought that was funny. And I said, I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was, uh, Compared to, you know, everybody's all scared and, you know, and his wife's scratching me and, and I'm having to push her away from with her boat away from my boat. So she's not scratching me and then dragging him in our boat and fighting this guy. And it was just funny to me for some reason. And so my trainee was with me and he's just like, I, I just, I didn't think that was funny at all.
2: <laughs> Did you guys ever have to go out with, uh, with like the national North Carolina national guard on and search for marijuana grows or anything like that?
1: No, we didn't. That's not our deal. I mean, you know, I mean, if we found it, we'd report it, you know, I never found any. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was out of our jurisdiction. So like I said, if guys found it, they'll, they'll report it, you know, but All right. we didn't do any
0: of that. Hey, before we get on to the next part, let me, let me kind of close off by asking you a couple of things. What did you learn out of either the Academy or the work you did with the, uh, uh, wildlife folks? that complemented that was you wish you would have had maybe some of that training back in uh, with the, your STT or other stuff. Was there was there anything different that they did that would have made uh, would have uh, complemented your skills that you had prior to that?
1: Yeah, I think the interview skills, uh, you know, interacting with people, you know, basically you're trying to uh, build a case. On someone, you know, and you could I could have used that, you know, as a you know, hey, and, and what we were doing, you know, hey, you know, once you captured somebody or once you've uh, the, the way they trained us to interview people to know if they were lying, to know, uh, you know, and and the driving skills we learned because I, you know, I mean that was really a, a great school we went to to learn, you know, basically to drive uh, from the highway patrol. I mean, we went to a driving school uh, in the navy, but it was more of how to bust through barricades and, uh, you know, and wreck people and this, that, and the other thing. But this was an actual, a racetrack down in Garner, North Carolina, that you, you drive on. And I mean, you are like racing on this track, fun, trying to it? catch somebody you've been on it. Obviously it's fun. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> when I was going through the patrol academy, uh, we were at Schilling Air Force Base uh, before they moved out to Marymount College there in Kansas. But Fort Riley was pretty close. So they would bring, we would get exposure to the massed helicopters and medical support people and their EOD guys. They would come in and Hueys, and some of us would get a chance to go up in those, you know, and have fun. But those guys said, hey, because we had our emergency vehicle operations course, what we called the skid pan out there. So we took these helicopter pilots, some of them that were Vietnam guys. I mean, they, they'd been in combat and stuff. And we put them in our cars. And when you're on a half scale course, so when you're going 55, it simulates 110. When we're going through some of those curves and you can see, you really get an appreciation for the limits of what a vehicle can do, you know, and that how it can handle. I thought that you know I thought the guys would shit their pants being up in the helicopter. They do some turns. Or they obviously were not hanging out on an eight foot you know uh, rope like you were. But um, <laughs> not many
2: people do that. Yeah,
0: but these guys would come back and they're like son of a bitch. They'd have white knuckles and stuff. And our our driving instructors are really good. You know the point of where emergency vehicle how be an evasive what you can do. So it was it, one of the the thing I love about it. It's the the appreciation for both worlds. It's like yeah you do some neat stuff, but then you realize hey we do some neat stuff too. You know on the other side and it's like and it's getting those combination of skills together
1: yeah I'm, that's what I say I, I would still be I might be getting close to retirement but if it hadn't been for 911 I would still be a wildlife officer so well, nice segue.
0: So, yeah. uh, let's talk about
2: that. We didn't even that. set that up. That's just, you did good. Well, look, that's, it's my
0: interview <laughs> skill. Speaking of that, that's one of the things I used to instruct was interview and interrogation taught out at NSA, guys like that. So, so you I, just pulled it out of me. I just pulled it out of you. You know, I just, just wait till you see what else I pull out here. Don't, oh, don't
2: feed his ego, Kevin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, but, uh, well, yeah, I led you down the path. No, but that, the, but that, let's talk about that because, um, that is something that has an impact of a lot of people. A lot of people prior military joined back because of that. A lot of people who never were joined because of that. I mean, obviously, people have seen the movie American Sniper, you know, the story of Chris Kyle and stuff, guys that were affected by this. You were affected in a different way. You'd done your time in the military. You were now uh, serving the citizens of North Carolina. But what about nine eleven made you decide you wanted to get back in the game again?
1: So I... Uh... I was actually teaching, uh, survival, uh, on the side to actually the seals that I had used to work with, uh, because when they would come up with a school for us to go to, uh, for like tracking or survival or whatever, they'd always send me because, uh, uh, I like doing that kind of stuff. And a lot of them didn't, you know? So, I mean, it was just like, Hey, why don't you go and you can come back and you can show us, you know, what, what you learned in the abbreviated version rather than having to live in a debris hut and, and trap and, and do all this stuff and whatever. So, uh, uh, so I kind of was in, I was still in contact, you know, with the guys, you know, uh, quite a bit, you know, and so I was, I was in the process. I was at that time, I had brought all the journalists or the editors to a lot of the major newspapers in North Carolina. I had brought them, uh, to my place here in North Carolina. And, uh, we, uh, I'd set up a survival course to put those people through just to let them know, okay, this is kind of what I got going on. Uh, I'm going to train you how to, you know, you know, build fire, get water, shelter, how to survive, you know, out in the woods. And so this is happening, uh, you know, right when nine 11 happens. Okay. So I got all these people here, you know, all these, uh, journalists and whatever, you know? So the last place I want to be is, uh, uh, out in the woods, teaching people how to survive when I know what's going on in the world. And cause, so right when the plane hit, the first plane hit, uh, my wife and I are driving, uh, uh, and she goes, she goes, Oh, an NPR, it said, uh, uh, a plane hit the, one of the world trade centers. And I was kind of listening to her, you know, and she said, when it, and, and then he says, what's well, a gaping hole. It's a massive hole. There's smoke and fire coming out of this thing. And I was like, well, that's a terrorist attack. And I said, before the second plane hit, I said, because it's an airliner. It's not like a Cessna. It's not like anything, you know, I mean, as soon as it told, described it, I said, well, that's a terrorist attack. A terrorist just flew that into the World Trade Center. And my wife's like, no. She, and, I'm like, and then the second plane hit. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I told you. And she goes, you're not going back in. And I was already (laughs) like, I didn't (laughs) say it, but I was like, oh, yes, I am. You know, (laughs) and so that, I mean, really, I mean, so we're stopping at gas stations. You know, we were in route to Indiana. Her dad had had an aneurysm and I was going to drop her off and come back and finish teaching this course for these journalists and stuff. So. Every gas station you stop in, man, it's got it all over the television. You know, the building's on fire and then collapsing. And you're just like, whew, man, you know, I was just, it, it pissed me off.
2: So, pumping,
1: Yeah. So I, I get back home and I'm immediately on the phone with, uh, my guys. Cause there's no cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone or whatever. I get back home on landline with uh dev group, my guy there. And I'm like, Hey, I said, I'm on, I need to look at coming back, you know? And, uh, He's one of the guys that was uh, in Black Hawk Down, Battle of the Black Sea, and he's like, okay. He goes, I'll talk to the master chief, and and uh, we'll see what we can do. And I mean, this is like two days after nine eleven, and and then so in the evenings, I come to the house, and the people are staying in their debris huts, and there's there you know I've taught them whatever I'm teaching them, and then I'll come home. I'm on the phone, you know, so uh, I, uh, whatever, two or three days later, he calls me back and I call, and and he's like hey he goes master chief says you can come back but you're going to need to go back to uh the regular seal teams for a couple of deployments and then you can come back here and you know I was just like I mean that's a by the book textbook answer you know of you know master chief what they should say I guess you know and I was like oh okay but I and I was good with it I was like I didn't care I was just like I want to get back to you know but he goes he goes hey he goes you know i just go to selection, you know, if, if, if I was you, you know, and I'm like, what does that mean? So selection, I I didn't know at the time, uh, selection is the uh, process for going to the army special mission unit, uh, that stationed out of Fort Bragg. And, uh, and that's the unit that he was attached to over there in black Hawk down. And so he, that's what he told me. And I said, well, I said, well, okay, well, what do you got to do to go there? And he said, he goes, well, he goes, the reason I'm telling you this, he says, they're already over there, you know? And he goes, we're not doing anything right now. And I was just like, well, that sounds like a place for me. So, uh, he says, well, you just, uh, you got to do like a compass course, some kind of little compass course or something.
0: And and I was like, (laughs) Oh, here we go again. Just, just right down the road in some little compass course. Yeah. Yeah, That's a setup right
1: there. (laughs) So I was just like, wow. Okay. Uh, to get there, you just got to do a compass course. And he's like, well, you know, that's, that's what they told me, you know, cause when he came back from that, uh, uh, that battle of the black sea, he was like, I'm going to go try out for those guys, you know? And this is back in 93, you know? And we're like, what? And he's like, I'm telling you, he goes, those dudes are bad-asses. He goes, and killers. He says, I'm going to go try out for them. And we're like, Hey man, we're seals, and what are you talking about? You know, and he goes, "I'm telling you." He goes, "I'm going to go." You know, and we're just like, "All right," you know, and so he brings it up the command. I guess the command says, "Well, if you, that's fine, but if you don't make it, you're not coming back here." So yeah. So
0: oh, in other words, if you don't make this new assignment, then the seals don't want you, even though you've been trained and you've done everything.
1: Well, you you've basically turned, you know, and so but I've Uh been. Gotcha. I've been right. I've been out now for five, six years. So he goes, man, it's a perfect opportunity. He goes, you know, you're not in anymore. I mean, they didn't let you come back here. So they want you to go to the regular, so regular teams. So might as well. He goes, if you don't, if you don't make it, then you can come on back, you know. And I was like, All right, well, you got a phone number or whatever, you know. And so gave me the guy's phone number and I called him up. And, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, that was actually sitting in the office when I first called, he was sitting near the recruiter and his, I mean, his name's Kyle Lamb. I know you guys probably know him. And, uh, the guy goes, hold on a minute. So he puts me on hold and he goes, Hey, do you know a guy named Kevin Holland? Ex dev group guy. He wants to come try out, you know, and, uh, they're like, what, you know, why does he want to, why don't you just go back there? You know? And the guy's like, well, he's out now he's out, you know, and he goes, was he in the reserves or what? And, uh, and he goes, I don't know. He, so he puts me back on gets me back on the phone. He's like, Hey, what military unit are you in? You know? And I'm like, well, I'm not in the military. <laughs> so he's like, well, he goes, man, you got to be in the military to, you know, go to selection or whatever, you know? And I'm just like, okay. All right any military he's says, like, yep any military so i said okay so, so he's like all right talk to you later so i hung up so i went and joined the national guard the next day the us uh, my local like engineer battalion here in Wilkesboro, north carolina went and signed up for a year so i call that guy back i'm like hey I- i'm in the military and he's like <laughs> what and i'm like yeah i said i'm in the i'm in the national guard you know and he's like okay he goes, once you come down here and do a PT test <laughs> you know so I drove my truck broke down. I mean, as a game warden, that's a great job, but they tried to back then they tried to starve you to death. You ate a lot of beans and cornbread you know and, and whatever deer you could kill. so I mean they didn't pay you real good, so I had a pretty crappy like Ford Ranger pickup, and uh, broke down in route one of my game warden buddies actually came, picked me up, carried me on into Fort Bragg to uh, actually do this PT test for the recruiter and so I'd stayed in shape, so I, I'd done pretty good. And the guys like, "All right, well, he'll fill out this application, you know, and and we need a resume. And I didn't have a resume, so uh, I had to like uh, buy an old a typewriter. It was a new typewriter, but it was it was still a manual typewriter because didn't have a computer. and uh, And typed up a resume, filled out their hand jam their uh, uh, application, and then mailed it snail mail uh, back down there. And so I don't know, I waited probably two or three weeks, you know, and I was just, you know, kind of like, <laughs> and then they called me and they're like, Hey, uh, so here's the deal. We're going to cut you orders to selection in March and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And so the rest is kind of history. I ended up going to selection. I made it. Well, ahead. hold
0: on. Anytime somebody says blah blah blah, you're covering up a lot of good stuff. So mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. let's let's rewind blah. Let's unpack blah 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 just a little bit. So you get these orders when? I mean, so this so is- I get
1: I get these orders probably November. Uh so like I said, I accept I, I, you know, I kind of went through this whole process of going down there, filling out everything, but and they get back to me probably end of October, I'm guessing. And then uh, and they're like, hey, we're going to send orders to your unit here in, in Wilkesboro, and then you'll need to get some extra BDUs, because all they had was like cotton BDUs like from like the early 80s, this National Guard unit, because I didn't have any of that stuff. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have anything. So all I had was the engineer battalion patch, some cotton BDUs, and uh, my game warden boots that I would wore as a game warden, which, you know, I mean, because they are broke in. And, uh, and so anyway, so that's how that, the kind of started out, uh, I had to take leave all my leave as a game warden to go to selection. So I was still a game warden up to the day I left. And even while I was up there, I was still a game warden. Uh, and, and basically it was take, burning all my leave to go to selection. And so, yeah. Well, talk
0: up. about selection. How long of a process
1: is that? So that's just that, that first initial selections a month long.
2: Yeah, as in March. Did you go do that? Did you go do that navigation course?
1: That little compass course kind of thing, you know. It was yeah, we, <laughs> a little more we, than that.
0: We've it? heard a lot about navigation, and actually, as we get through this, I want you to also to talk about the difference between the way that the mindset and the theory behind the way SEALs dev group works versus Delta. A lot of people, you know, they're all obviously highly trained, but there's like different focuses or different things that they're looking at. Um, but what 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 constituted selection? What was what was that uh, month like? So, well, there's a lot to it. Um,
1: it's a whole lot of uh, individual effort. Um, I, I put it this way, and, and it has a lot to do with land nav. I'll say that, but uh, uh, the difference—I'll go into the difference. I think because as a seal, you're always on a team. You're, you know, you're never not like with other guys. Uh, you know, you might have a shooting test or something on your own or whatever, but you're never like, um, not with a group of guys, you know, up there, you can't even hardly speak to anybody, you know? So you show up, we showed up with 126 of us and I, I didn't have any like markings of what I was. I was just a national guard dude, you know, (laughs) some hillbilly, uh, from, you know, a national guard unit in North Carolina. And so – and it wasn't like you sitting around talking to each other because they didn't want you talking to each other, you know. And so you weren't really friends with people at selection, you know. It's an individual effort. So I, I think the difference is is they'll take a person that can do it on his own and then put him on a team, whereas you're always on a team, you know. And, and, and you a guy could possibly slip through maybe – because of the team's strength. And and I'm not saying that in a bad way, because I I love the SEALs. I mean, I love being a SEAL. And but that's the difference, I think, I think is, hey, they take a guy that can survive. uh, 16 of us were left out of 126. And, and they take those guys now, and now they put them on a team. And so each one of those guys can operate
0: Independent. Independently. Yeah. Independently. What, what, um, cause we kind of joke about this. Uh, are you allowed to say where your, uh, selection was held at?
1: It's just uh, Appalachia. It's up in the mountains, you know? Yep. Almost heaven. Yeah.
0: Uh, could be. Um, and while you were up there, um, what was maybe the main, was Land Nav one of the biggest reasons people didn't make it out of selection?
1: <clears throat> well, I mean, there's several. There's, there's, there's quite a few things, you know, and I mean, the officers is a little bit different what they have to do. I mean, you know, I'm, we do everything the same up to a certain point and then they break off for a little extra and then, uh, and then there's a board you go through and it's basically a, a whole lot of, uh, integrity too, because, you know, they'll, they'll check your pack. You got to have, it, you don't be light and don't be late, you know? And so you got to have everything you left with and you can't be light. When they weigh your rucksack and all that. So what does that mean? Well, you gotta have a certain amount of weight in your ruck. So uh, let's say, you know, you you've you've you basically packed your rucksack to weigh 50 pounds, okay? And you didn't take into account that you're gonna drink water during this event, you know, and you get to the end of it and they weigh your rucksack and it's forty-eight pounds. It's an integrity issue because you didn't think ahead to go. Hey, I'm going to, I got to have an extra two or three pounds to take up for that water. You know, I mean, just, I mean, and and it sounds trivial, but once you get into these type units and stuff, nothing's trivial.
2: There's no, there's no, that's that's a, a huge asset is having that forward thinking ability. And that's just, that's a basic way of getting it started.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this is the basic level of, you know, what I'm saying of the first leg of this whole training that's getting ready to start, you know? So you got, you know, you got six or eight more months, more like eight months. Once you finish up there and there's the 16 of you left, now you've got the real
0: training. So so what, when you were talking about this, so you, if you were going to leave with your ruck, you'd need to make sure that it weighed 53 or 54 pounds uh, and you drink it down. So by the time you got back, it was 50 or more. You did,
1: as long as it weighed more. You know you're, you're you're good as much. But you couldn't or more. go under
0: because if you went under the minimum, in a sense, you were cheating because you were reducing weight and not doing it to the standard everybody else was. Exactly, and so everybody else is having
1: to put out more than you are. So I mean, that's just a, a just a tiny right. uh, example I'm bringing up. You know, because there's there's other things the way you interact with people uh, uh, during this training, and because you you do peer on each other. And I'd never done that before. Like, Hey, who do you like? Who do you not like? Who do you, you know, who, who would you want to go to war with? And I mean, you know, you're like, oh, well, I don't know. You well, know, hell, I don't
0: know. You don't allow me to talk to anybody. I don't get well, that. To- you
1: you got to figure it out because I mean, it's one of those things, you know, it's just, uh, you know, by their actions and their abilities. And I mean, you know, that's kind of what you're going off of, you know? And so I, I can't really get into the, a whole lot of it, you know, but it's, uh, it, it was, a uh, I mean, Obviously, if you lose that many people in that short of a time, it was a pretty tough deal. So, well, you walk a lot. I bet we walked 400 miles. So,
0: did you have to run everywhere? Yep.
1: I mean, when you were in it, you know, not like if you're walking to the Chow Hall or something, you didn't, but when you're out in it, you, you didn't know, you don't know what the times are, you don't know when you have to be there, you don't know anything. You just know, Hey, this is where I got to be at a certain time and you don't want to be late. You don't want to be light. So that's it, you know, so not knowing you give it everything you got, you know, cause once again, I had no plan B, you know, I was going to be in the national guard. and <laughs> My wildlife was over
0: Pretty much, you know, because well, hey, you got those photography skills. You could have, you know, could have used those in the national guard. Took some pictures, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, this is this is much more trivial than what you were going through there. But when I was going through the DE academy, the guy sitting next to me in the classroom, you know, you got your we're on these tiered levels, and you got a big desk in front of you. Everybody's on the same big round, you know, circular or semicircular table, and he would set pictures of his wife and children out. In, like in a square in front of him. And during the whole class, he'd just sit there and look at his family. And you knew, dude, you have no business being here. And uh, and he'd take a test. He'd ace all the tests. He was very intelligent, but uh, just didn't have the right mindset. Yeah. And he made it about halfway through the academy. And he came in one Saturday and we're, you know, I think back then we were still restricted to the academy on weekends. And uh, he's like, guys, uh, listen, I'm going to pull the pin. So I uh, just want to tell you goodbye. And we're like, okay, good luck to you he's a quitter, you know, and you just don't have a lot of patience for them. And he says, well, could you help me carry my stuff down to the car? It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Get your quitting ass out of here. You know, good luck to you in life. We don't see any more of you. It's just, but then that's what you're using is your observation skills with the other people to see, do they have that mindset to be doing what they're going to get ready to do?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. It's like, Hey, this guy, uh, I get back to the barracks. He's there when I get there or he's right after me or you know what i'm saying and so you're you're just like you're judging people it's like a another Spartan environment you know it's like hey is this the guy i want with me uh you know he he seems squared away his gears he, he's never like they're never yelling, you know they don't yell at you they don't nobody even speaks to you hardly except they'll, they'll give you classes and and whatever you know and now it's on you 100% it's on you so that's the beauty of that selection is you can't blame anybody. You can't blame the instructors. Even people that don't make it, I guarantee you that they'll go. That's the most professional run course I've ever seen in my life. That's why I left there. I was like, I couldn't even believe it.
2: You got to be able to think on your feet. That's I. I never knew that about Delta. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, speaking of Delta, Army uh, Special Mission Unit. So that, yeah. Army Special Mission Unit <laughs> referred to in the media as Delta, in the movies as Delta. Um, General Jerry Boykin, a friend of Murph's, lives in Ashburn here. Um, member of Delta, uh, according to the media. We we can neither confirm nor deny that, right, Kevin? Yep, I, I was in the Army Special Mission Unit. I don't, I don't know what Delta is. It just comes after Charlie, Charlie Delta, something like that. So, hey, but from a contrasting, let me, let me ask you: Do you recognize this? I have seen that before. Something like <laughs> in a movie or something. Something like a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's on a. I saw it on a coffee cup once too, Murph.
2: Kind of looks like a college uh Greek letter, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah With it a sword through it. Alpha beta, gamma, delta. Um, so why did they call it Delta? Because they wanted to worry where Alpha, beta, and gamma were. So yeah. like Steel Team Six. Where's Delta Force? I don't know. Find Alpha Force first. So uh speaking actually Alpha is uh one of the premier Russian units too. So you've got Vimple and Alpha and part of the SpetsNats. So um we'll ask you about that later. But in terms of contrasting and comparing um, they're different. I I get that they're different. Um, were they different? Uh, what is it from the physical standpoint? Were they about the same? Did they expect the same from you physically between steel uh, and buds as they did in, uh, uh, the army special mission unit? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh,
1: so we would do a thing called upper body round robin, and it was, uh, basically as many pull-ups as you can do, as many dips, as many bench press as your body weight plus ten percent. Uh I mean, it was just a, a, it was a brutal thing and then a five mile run. So it all revolves around being fit enough to do that job because you never you never know when, you know, you're gonna end up being in the middle of nowhere and you got a E and E or you gotta do you got to carry your buddy or whatever it is. So physically it's they're pretty the only difference is the the water deal for the SEALs. I mean, that's, you know, that's their egg to suck. And so the, the, the army doesn't really want to deal with that. I mean, they will if they have to, but, you know.
0: What was, what was the special mission unit, this training you went through, what was their version of uh, the water? Was there something that they did that was unique to them?
1: Well, really, I mean, the, the, what we did there is you do uh, uh, boat jumps sometimes, you know, free fall and kick a, a a boat out, you know, and jump out after it or. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't a big focus because really the whole time I was there was at war, you know, so, and the, wasn't it wasn't near the ocean. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the riverine thing was, and we would use the Navy, uh, the riverine, the brownwater Navy to insert on targets uh, quite a bit, actually, you know. So we all we got all the respect in the world for those guys because, man, they would put us in and come get us. And I mean, under pretty bad situations. And so, but that
0: was kind of the extent of what we did as far as in combat with the water stuff. Well, funny you should mention that, too, because everybody's kind of got their thing right. So you talk about the Brownwater Navy, then, but on the other side, then when you're talking about getting inserted by air, I mean, the 160th, um, the the SOAR, you know, the Special Operations Air, they kind of made a name for themselves as being the people who did a lot of the air insertions. Uh, you've got the Brownwater Navy and you got the 160th, right?
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, the, the 160th was... Uh, uh came into uh being after desert one basically when all the uh military had all their different like air force army all, they had all their different assets so they decided hey we need a, a designated uh airframe to carry these guys around these special operations guys and that's where 160th came from so they basically service you know a dev group uh army special mission unit the rangers uh, and sometimes, you know, uh, seals, uh, vanilla white side seals. And I mean, so it's, uh, and they're super highly talented. They, they got a selection process. It's over the top too. getting guys in there that are the right guys to be able to basically, I mean, I've been on birds with them where people are shooting, shooting, like we're trying to kill us. And then they just sit there and just hold that stick and they ain't armed or nothing. And we're in a gun battle with these people. And, uh, and those guys just sit right there. I mean, just cool as a cucumber. Uh,
0: I mean, just just the admiration and the respect you have for people who go through that and can remain calm doing their job, right? Because it's one of those things is like, look, if it's my day, it's my day. I, I can't control that. But what I can control is focus on my mission, what I'm doing right now.
1: Yep, yep. I mean, they're the best of the best. They would put us on roofs that you can't even—I mean, covered in barbed wire. They'd have barbed wire rigged around these roofs, and you'd have to rope into that barbed wire and usually get hung up, hung upside down. And but these guys were—they'd put you on that roof with all this stuff. You have to cut your way out of this barbed wire and then get into the building. And but those guys are amazing.
0: Jeez. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of those things too, because this gets into the meat of what we want to talk about too. So, um, you may not have seen a lot of action. As a SEAL, but you saw a hell of a lot of action um, when you were in the Army side.
1: Yeah, pretty much every deployment was a combat deployment when I was uh, was in the Army.
0: What was your first combat deployment once you got out of uh, the training, the special mission unit? Um, and you started deploying because, uh, but the other thing too, with the special, there's a lot of people, there's special operations, there's special forces, there's green beret and stuff. So kind of let people know the inside baseball about what those different things mean, because not everybody's a green beret who's special forces, but not every, you know, you got Rangers, you got all this other stuff. So kind of give us the nomenclature from the, from the army side.
1: Okay. So, uh, uh, Special Forces is really talking about Green Berets, and their mission is uh, a FID where they go in, they'll train a partner force uh, to fight uh, you know, indigenous people, and then they'll uh, either go with those people to fight or they'll they'll train them up and send them out, you know, and um, that's their main mission, you know. Uh, Rangers are basically, uh, the, they're probably the best I guess small infantry unit in the world. I mean they're super good guys. They uh uh they support uh, both dev group and army special mission unit uh, as far as like blocking positions and this, that, and everything. And also too, they'll be used if if there's an extra target or something that the, the compound's so big, they'll actually send the Rangers into a different part of that compound to deal with whatever they got to deal with. So they're very talented guys. They're just really young guys. And uh, but the training they go through to get to where they're at is, uh, is, it's pretty brutal as well. So
0: it is it also accurate to say a lot of times they use the Rangers as a quick reaction force too. I mean, that'll be part of what they do as well.
1: Yep. So they'll be standing by, uh, basically with the CSAR to go with, uh, the air force, uh, PJs and stuff that actually will come if we have a downed ha- aircraft or whatever to pull guys out, you know, and so the Rangers will be security for those guys as they, uh, as they go in and i mean, and the Rangers have their own mission too. It's not just supporting us, but they have their own mission as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, it's just amazing when you start looking at it because a lot of people confuse special forces and they think, Oh, Ranger or seal. But like, like you said, when you say special forces, you're talking green beret. Yeah,
1: that's green berets. I, uh, I actually, because I had no, I had, I had never been to a school in the army. (laughs) So I get done with, uh, the training for the, OTC is what it's called, uh, operator training course. And then uh, we deploy to invade Iraq two months later. So, uh, you know, basically everything after that is combat. So after three or four years of that, you know, my team leader's like, hey, you have got to go to some sort of school in the Army (laughs) Uh, because you're never going to get promoted, you know. And I didn't care. I was like, whatever, you know, I just – Let's just go. Let's just keep deploying. So, but no, they're like, no. They really look out for your career at the unit, and so they're like, no, we're going to send you to the Q course. So I actually had to go to the Q course uh, and complete that and, and all and, and Q earn, course. Tell us what that is. So the Q course is the training to earn your Green Beret. So uh, you basically go to the Q course, uh, and it's you know out of North Carolina here. And uh, you're you're basically you know it's small unit tactics. It's you're learning to deal with indigenous personnel. You're you know living off the land. I mean it's a it's a a long deal. It's about eight months long, and and then I ended up uh, testing out in Spanish, and I ended up uh, I got my green beret. So yeah, you're right. I mean it's a whole different animal than uh, Army Special Mission Unit.
2: Tu hablas español?
1: How do you see? Uh, uh, pequeño. Okay. I thought What's you said again?
2: you
0: tested out in Spanish.
1: Well, that was uh, oh five fifteen, eighteen years ago, and it was just to get my green beret, so get my tab.
0: You know, <laughs> so, tab. yeah. Hey, real quick too, before we talk about a couple of your other missions, that's another thing too. A lot of people, we talked about this in the pre-call, but we want to, we don't want to dive into too much of that because. We agreed what we wanted to talk about, but there are a lot of people who can go through ranger training, but that does not make them a ranger. Uh, earning the tab is different than going through ranger training.
1: Absolutely. Yep. So, and this took a while for me too, because I'm not an army guy, you know? So, and and then you'd be like, oh, he's been to ranger school. And they're like, yeah, well, a lot of people's been to ranger school. And, and you're like, well that don't mean they're a ranger. And you're like, and they're like, no, it's a, they got to be a battalion. So you got to be in one of the battalions, you know, first, second or third battalion, ranger battalion to actually earn your scroll. And that's the ranger scroll, 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, it's a, it's a big deal, you know? And uh, so you have to be in that regiment to one of those battalions to actually earn your scroll to be called, Hey, I'm a ranger. Uh, ranger qualified is going to ranger school. I'm I'm ranger school qualified. And I mean, you know. But
0: there's nothing you wear on the uniform to indicate that, is there?
1: Yeah. There's a ranger tab. There is a ranger tab. And then there's, uh, you know, and if you're in battalion, you got a ranger scroll.
0: Yep. So, yeah. So the tab without the scroll means you've been through ranger school, but the tab with the scroll means you are actually a ranger because you're assigned to a battalion. You came from ranger battalion.
1: Yep. And all Rangers uh, have to go to Ranger school, and they have to succeed, or they have to leave Ranger Battalion.
0: Look, again, Darwinian, at, Darwinism at its finest. It's survival of the fittest. You don't want... You know, Steve Jobs actually talked about this one time. When he talked about his hiring philosophy, he says, you want A players, because A players hire other A players, because they want that competition. They want that level. You hire B players, B players hire C players, and pretty soon you have the Bozo explosion. Because, you know, you want that... That's why... You want, if you don't, if you can't qualify to be the top 1% or the 1%, hey, you're still great. You are still better than 99% of everybody else, but you want to be at that level. You got to operate at that level.
1: And I, re- I really learned more about this from, my, my son was at 1st Battalion. He was a Ranger at 1st Battalion. So I learned more about this from him than I did, yeah.
0: So
2: <laughs> Being in it.
0: <laughs> hey, well, we want to we kind of talk about some of these missions you did because, uh, I don't know, you can't believe everything you read on the internet, uh, you know, but you do, you ask a few people, but you did quite a few missions. How many missions in total? And we're going to talk about why uh, your mission stopped a little bit later, but how many missions total did you do? I I just kind of do it as a conservative, uh, number because
1: I did 14 deployments as a, you know, in the army and then I did, uh, deployments, you know, as a seal, uh, you know, before that. And then after I retired, I did deployments, uh, uh, with a government agency. And so I, I just say around 1500, just because I know it's at least that it could be, could be more uh, I like a, that
0: with a government agency. Dang. Let me see what government dang. agency would be well, interested uh, you know, in using I mean, skills and uh capability. Could have been
1: USDA, you know. I
0: mean, nah. I I, have, I do
1: have some trapping skills and uh, you know, I <laughs> well, can trap some beavers.
0: You can sell that to somebody else, you <laughs> know. Okay. Let's move along here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, um anyways, going back to where we were, um I don't know if you can see this, but um I can. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I'm not sure what agency you're I talking about. I think that's uh, the USDA. Yeah. That's the USDA. Yeah. The United States uh, uh, Dev Association. Oh. You, but you got into some interesting things. The one we want to circle in on now involves uh, somebody who is room temperature and should be. But um, we want to talk about the mission uh, finding, locating, capturing Saddam Hussein. Okay. How did that come about? Uh, okay.
1: So, uh, and I I really, I mean, I I wouldn't really be able to talk about this, but, uh, uh, I was asked a couple years ago to actually tell this story, uh, by the unit. And so, uh, the only reason I'm going to even mention
0: kind of about it is cause I was asked to talk about it. So, uh, now, let's before you start. Let's because a lot of stuff was always covered by nondisclosures. Did you have to get any kind of an official waiver to talk about things that had previously been classified? I did. I mean, it, I, and I'm I'm actually because I asked for the thing when
1: I was asked to actually tell this story uh, with you know another film group, really. I mean, I was supposed to be working with a writer, and I was asked to tell this story because they wanted the the real story to be told. And so the first thing, I was like, print call, print call. <laughs> you know, and they're like, no, no, uh, we, we, we're we serious, you know, we want you to tell this story. And and I'm like, well, I need something in writing, you know, that says I'm not going to get P&G'd or, you know, persona non grata for this deal, you know. And, or,
0: or arrested for disclosing classified yeah, information. Know,
1: whatever, because, I mean, I, you know, I've never publicly, you know, you know, talked about, you know, I mean, last, I gave a Veterans Day presentation last November and I did say something about it, but this was way after I was given permission. So anyway, so, uh, yeah. So the whole Saddam thing, we, uh, after the invasion, uh, we ended up, uh, invading Iraq, uh, 18th of March, Oh three. And, uh, <clears throat> we did a, a desert mobility mission across Western Iraq, all the way to Tikrit. It was, I think supposedly the longest, desert mobility mission since World War II, uh, it was probably like 1,500 miles, and uh, we were hitting targets all along that way, uh, uh, looking for weapons of mass destruction, and, 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 and basically confirming or denying uh, whatever was in the reports that, that the intelligence was getting. So we ended up finishing that mission. It's about 38 days, and, uh, and then we came back home. And then we got on a rotation. And then once that mission was complete, the mission was to kill or capture Saddam. That was our mission.
0: And let's stop there for a second, because we had this discussion beforehand, because there's a reason now that you've got the legal authority to go after Saddam Hussein, because uh, executive order, uh, this is inside baseball for that vote, but it was issued that part of the National Security Act in 1947 and part of Executive Order 12333, the United States is not allowed to engage in political assassination but Saddam Hussein had been basically declared a military target, right? Yeah. Um,
1: But uh, I mean, he still had to be a threat. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So yeah. So we were tasked with killing or capturing Saddam Hussein. I mean, that was our number one goal. And I mean, we were uh, once a squadron took our place, uh, then another squadron took their place. Then we were blown out to go back over to help them because they thought they'd found him and they, supposedly Intel had it that he had hundreds of bodyguards and they needed some help. So we went back over probably September of 03 and then stayed for a couple of weeks, came back and we redeployed in October
0: for our rotation, our normal rotation. Well, let's set the context a little bit for this too, because he was doing a lot of things. At one time he was like part of his plan, right? He would stay in a different palace every night or he'd go to different locations. I mean, he did. None of that was true. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm getting at too, is, I mean, they talk about, if you listen to the news, it's like, oh, he had, he had food tasters. He would go someplace every night. He had all of this. He had all these different things. What's the reality? He was in a small camp up along the Syrian
1: border the whole time. And so, uh, we ended up, we would take a picture from, uh, uh, one of his palaces or whatever had his whole family and had all his basically generals and, and whatever. And we take that on target and, and we get intelligence of where some of those people were. So we went out on a target one night, uh, ended up this guy come running at me. I, I hit him instead of shooting him and, uh, and, and basically knocked him down. We captured him and, uh, ended up being, he was the guy that uh, was in one of those pictures. And our intel guy asked him, hey, what, a, uh, he didn't want to know where Saddam was at. He did, but, uh, the guy wasn't going to tell him, you know, he goes, hey, who in this picture can tell us where he's at? He picked out a guy in that picture that said, if you capture this man, you will find Saddam. And so our whole mission was to capture that guy, the whole rotation.
0: And how long was a rotation?
1: Three months. And so that was October. We captured Saddam in December. So, right.
0: yeah. So that's fat. Okay, we fast-forwarded to the end. Let's roll back. So October. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then we, and then we then then we left. Uh, Pretty much. Well, but going back to that, what was it like on a daily basis? In other words, you were probably look. There had to be agency uh, assets over there. You had NSA. I mean, you had you guys were getting a full complement of intel. From probably a variety of places, but what was the most valuable thing to you on your uh, daily operations? I'll tell you, <laughs> it was
1: it was honestly driven, unit driven. We were we were given a lot of intelligence from other agencies that were that was absolutely bogus, and uh, even we followed a guy with a beacon in his shoe for a month going and hitting targets and hitting targets and hitting targets and following this guy and this, that, and the other thing. And he was a paid asset. And uh, he was absolutely stringing the whole task force along that whole time. And so in the background, our guys, our unit intel guys, were building this whole case of who to hit, what targets to hit. And so we would go hit targets at night, three targets a night in Ramadi, Fallujah, all over the country. And then we capture a guy and then he'd capture him and capture another guy and this guy. And it was leading to the guy that we were looking for to take us to Saddam. And so, yeah, hang on there for a second. I,
0: I want to ask if you were able to use one of because you, you said one of the skills you wish you had got, what you got in the wildlife was the interview skills, you know, being able to talk to people. Did that help you? I mean, were you involved in interviewing or did that help you with some of the work you were doing now? So.
1: There were there was a team like say in our troop that they were the uh, they would question the people and that wasn't my team. <laughs> so we I, I was on a, a, a the a, initial the assault team and then I, I ended up moving to the climbing team. But I was never on the uh, the question the the team that
0: actually questioned the prisoners. You said so we, the assault team and the climbing team. What's the difference between the two?
1: Well, the climbing team, you know, uh, if there's something you can get on the roof or you know you can get behind them or whatever, that's the uh, the team that does that. And then you've got a couple teams that they uh,
0: they assault, direct, yeah, yeah, direct
1: action, direct action, yeah. I mean, the other team's a direct action team too. but They just come in from the top.
0: They come in so, from the top. Okay, yeah. so um, so so walk through this now. So when when do you finally start getting the idea that hey, we think we know, we think we're we, we got to our confidence is higher now than it was before. Because look, Murph, you know this too. I mean, you want, you'd love to believe that informants come forward and they've got credible information, but most of the time, you know, it's shit, right? I mean, you probably yeah. had to wade through a bunch of people down in Columbia or even over here in the States wading through a bunch of crap to find that one nugget that was actually true.
2: It was. And, and you know, through experience and through multiple operations that are non-productive, you learn how to read people like that. And you can tell... My partner, have your opinions on one of the best I've ever seen when it was come to discerning is the information legitimate or is it BS and somebody just trying to earn money. So it's, it kind of comes with experience.
1: Well, and the way that basically Uday and Kuse were killed was a guy walks into their up to our gate and was like, Hey, uh, and I, I, this is not my squadron. I wasn't there. And, uh, but it was the unit and, uh, they walks up and he says, uh, Hey, uh, can you come get these guys out of my house? I mean, they took my house over. They, you know, they beat my wife. They, you know, I just need them out of my house. And, and they're like, well, all right, who are they? And they're like, what's well, Uda and Kuse? And they're like, really? say what? what? <laughs> and, uh, so one of the guys who had this guy basically had been talking to this guy. He's like, okay, well, so they take a, you know, a, a undercover kind of vehicle and go check it out. And it is like, barricaded up looking, you know, so they're like, all right, well, let's take a squadron and roll up there. Well, they take fire in route to getting into the house, you know, so it ended up being them. So, I mean, it can be as something as simple as that, as far as like a, an informant or whatever. And, and usually those are the ones that, you know, Hey, just all out of the blue, you know, I mean, this guy that you've been paying for years and years and all this and nothing's ever come to fruition. You know, we
0: learned that those aren't the guys.
2: No. Nah. If they're not producing, you know, you give them a shot. If they don't produce, you don't go back. Well,
0: the reason the guy strung you around for a month is that was that was his income. That's that was how his he income. was making money. Yeah, the shoe the shoe beacon guy is what we call him. So, the shoe and, beacon guy. Yep. Yeah, but that's interesting though too. The the fact that you know a lot of the stuff that you can do. So you start. So um, when does the when does Uday and Kuse happen in relation to when Saddam is captured?
1: So that happened during the summer. That was on a, uh, a, a you know probably June. June, July of 03, Uh, I mean, I'm not sure of that date, but I mean, I know it happened that summer before the Saddam was captured.
0: And you were not, but, and that's the other thing too, is that was not your rotation at that time because you didn't come back until October. Well, we came back in September
1: to help that same squadron that killed those guys, but uh, uh, it was to go capture uh, Saddam, but they were already dead by the time we went over. And then we came back over in October.
0: Okay. All right. So now you're back in October. So now you're walking through, you're starting to do your own thing. You're collecting your own intelligence. And so that kind of get to the point at what point from October on, when is it that you finally start feeling like you've got a handle, like you're really starting to close in on Saddam, that you've got a good feeling that you don't know exactly where he is, but he's, we feel really confident. He's got to be like here, here, or here. So
1: we captured a guy in Samara that, uh, you know, we had no idea. I mean, you know, we, you know, he was just a target to us and, uh, ended up being, uh, because you'd always take the safe off target cause there's Intel in that thing pops this, we pop this safe and there's a couple million dollars in this thing in U S dollars. And we're like, well, that ain't, that's not normal. And okay, let's delve into who this guy is. He ended up being the son of the guy that the guy told us to find. Okay. So now we've got his son. So he's in the network as well. You know, he's probably in his 20s, you know. And so now we're like, oh, geez, we're close, you know. So we get some intel off that target that leads us to another target in Baghdad. And we end up capturing that guy on that target in Baghdad. Uh, And a a kind of a funny story with that guy was – I breached the door, this, this side of the house. And then my buddy breached the door on this side. We go in, he goes into this side, they're clearing that side of the house. He looks under the bed and old boys in there with a toy gun under the bed with a gun, Baham. Oh I yeah, mean, a, 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 a real gun or a toy gun. It's a toy gun and it has an orange thing on the end oh, of it. Geez. Oh yeah. And so my buddy's like, Whoa, you know, he almost shoots him and he's like, Is that a toy, you know, and he drags this guy out. Well, that just happens to be the guy. You know, if he'd have shot him, that'd have been it. Who knows how long it would have took, you know, to got him. But that was the guy. So then they carry him back to the uh, detention center. We all go to bed. And uh, so they're, they're, they're interrogating people or whatever. And, and and they're like, Hey, well, you know, we need to know where this guy's at, you know? And the guy's like, he's, he's in the cell next door. (laughs) And, uh, and they're like, what? They go, yeah, he's right next door. And, and, and it was like oil and water nobody in that cell would be near that guy. I mean, he was just like by himself in there, you know, and, and they like, that's him right there. The guy wouldn't even point him out. He was, the guy was so mean and evil that uh, the guy that actually knew who he was, was wouldn't even point him out. He's like, no, no, no. He goes, you. I'll tell you which one he is, he, you know, by around the corner. And they went and got him out there. So, and ended up, hey, you know, we got your son. And... uh You know, if you
0: help us out here, we'll, we'll help you out with him. And that's how, that's how it happened. So what, so, but that took you quite a while to get from that point, right? I mean, so how long from the time you guys started taking your own initiative till you got to that point with that guy in the cell? How long of a time was that?
1: Once we, uh, kind of, I guess, threw the BS flag on the shoe beacon guy, probably it, it probably, we, we wasted time with that guy for probably a month. And then so you figure November time frame, we really started doing our own thing and not worrying about the assets we were being given. And, uh, it, it, you know, about a month, I think. And and then now you start seeing some stuff. You start seeing some stuff connecting the dots. And our intel guy was just a great guy, a guy from Georgia, super smart. And uh, he was just – he was on it. And he basically is – he's the reason – uh, that we got this guy, you know, people go, man, you use on this. I'm like, yeah, but I was just one of the guys there. It wasn't, this
0: ain't about me. As as all humble people say, but I mean, but you were there though. So, but speaking of that, so l- let's get into like the last 24 to 48 hours before Saddam's captured, what kind of uh, operational tempo is going on at this time? Are you guys just constantly hitting things, doing things, or what's the lead up to this?
1: We, I mean, we're, we're all over the country. We're two to three targets a night is what we're doing and we're you know basically bringing them in uh we work all night sleep all day back out all night sleep all day and then we ended up uh with the scenario i just told you we we, we captured you know caught the guy's son two days later capture him and then they woke us up during the day after the night we captured him and said hey we're going to ticker it so we basically woke up I'm like what we don't ever get up during the day <laughs> <laughs> and basically loaded all our stuff into our uh uh armored vehicles we we drove around in and the 6 wheel panders is what they're called and uh loaded up and drove to Tikrit daytime which is normally what we don't do.
0: Yeah, that's pretty dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's IDs everywhere and whatever so ended up getting to Tikrit uh and then sit down with the other troop that was in Tikrit which was actually our our real troop, we were attached to the troop in Baghdad just because they were short a team.
0: All right. Well, there's more to it than that. So you arrive in Tikrit. So um, what happens from that point on?
1: So then it's just a planning session of, okay, showing showing this guy a map, okay, where, you know, and he he basically says, hey, it's here. And so we set up, okay, now we've got, uh, you know, ISR footage of the place. Hey, this is how we want to do this target. There's two targets. There's a, uh, uh, basically, uh, in route, there's a target. And then the, the, you know, the actual, the one that he actually ended up being on was further down the road and they're about a mile apart. So when you
0: say, when you say, when you're talking about it's here, whatever, what are you talking about? Is it a building, a home, a business? Yep. So,
1: uh, it was a building, the first target, the Wolverine two, I guess. And then, uh, uh, uh Wolverine One was actually just a a campsite looking small building with an overhang basically is all it was uh just a open i guess mud hut basically is what it was uh <clears throat> with a couple of uh, cots in there you know and so that was the the main target and since we uh we were in like uh our original uh groups a o they actually got that target and then the group we were had been with in baghdad got this uh, second target. So the most likely one we ended up going
0: on. So let's talk about that. Now, did you guys take any fire, uh, during this operation getting up to that point? So we, uh, uh, so we, it was
1: pretty cold that night. We, we went down, uh, we stopped up the road just to, you know, let the fourth ID get their, uh, uh cordon set up, uh, around us, uh, so that nobody could escape that area. And, uh, while we're standing there, you know, we're kind of like, Hey, uh, I mean, you know, cause everybody was kind of feeling, Hey, I, I think he might be there, you know? And, uh, we had old boy with us. He was in the truck with a hood on and, and, uh, uh, and I, we, we go, Hey, w- what if he's there, you know? And, you know, the correct answer was, well, if he's a threat, uh, you know what to do, you know? So we're like, Okay. You know, so whatever that means. And uh so anyway, so we roll roll on down and uh, they drop off, drop off at that target, we move on to our target, we clear the the uh target building. Uh there are two guys there that were basically security for the place. And when you rolled up, how many people have you got with you at that point? It's about twenty five guys. Okay. That's so basically twenty five and that's including support people uh, you know, uh, probably, uh, 20 shooters and then five or six support people. And then the sergeant major actually went with us of of, of our, of our outfit. And, uh, so, and then the other group broke off and it was probably 20, 25 with them as well. So we roll up into this place. These guys are out front and then, you know, basically we, we, they didn't have weapons with them. Uh, we just roll them up, capture them, zip time, and clear the rest of the compound all around the back and everything. And, uh, and then it's just like, okay,
0: bring out the guy. Yeah, let's stop right there for a second because the, obviously you know something's there because why would you have two guys providing security for a mud hut, right? Why are two guys there? Just two guys. Yeah, I mean, you read that, it's like, okay, they're never
1: just – there's women, there's children, there's, you know, I mean, it, you never see that. So, you know, we had a good idea because the guy said he was there that he was there, but you know, in that in itself with them being there without anybody else there uh, was suspicious. So automatically you can't find him, bring out the guy, de-hood him. He walks over to an area like right near that lean to mud uh, mud hut thing and kind of kicks the leaves back and forth and he says well he's right here and uh so we're like okay and we were actually uh my team was around the back of the house and so they start digging another team starts digging this thing out and uh uh and they they run into like a styrofoam plug and so uh, our troops aren't major calls us he goes hey we need you guys to get around here now. We might have something. So we came around, and we're we're watching this digging going on. So we're all standing here, and then they find this rope that's attached to this styrofoam plug. They pull this plug out, and the sand kind of pours down into the hole, and it's a, it's a no kidding, like two-by-three hole, and you can see bricks, you know, lining this thing going down in there. And we're like, hey, throw a banger in that thing. <laughs> so we grab a nine banger and fire a nine banger into this hole. So
0: tell us what that is. You got a nine banger. What does that mean? So a nine banger is a flash
1: bang that goes off nine times basically. So it's jumping around and it sounds like a pistol going off and it's flashing and it's super uh, distracting and that's what it's for. And so, uh, fire this nine banger in there and, Normally, you know, like the canine, we had a canine, a, a canine and a, and a handler, he'll follow that thing, you know, through a door or whatever, you know, well, that canine was not having any of it, you know, he's just like, they're, they're trying to shove him down in this hole and he ain't wanting to go in. He's got his feet on either side of the hole and he's just, <laughs> he just, he don't want to go in. So pull the canine back and, uh, and then all of a sudden you start hearing somebody talking out, of the, you know, it's like, wait, wait, wait. And we, the the nine bangers stopped and you hear somebody speaking in, in, in Arabic, you know? And so we get the interpreter up there and the interpreter yells something into the hole. And, and then they, they respond, whoever's in the hole, you know? So now it's like, all right, man, everybody's got their gun on the hole, lights on, you know? And, and, uh, uh, he, he says something else. The interpreter says, yells at him and he comes out and all you can see is like hands, like poking up over the edge of that hole. And then you see his head come out of the hole and it's just this big bushy black head of hair. And then so we reach and grab him by the hair and the, and and the hands and drag him back over the top edge of this hole. And then, and I I remember the, the, the the guy bigger than me, I almost picks him up and like looks him in the face and he's like, holy shit, it's him. (laughs) And then, and then, so he's, he's yelling that he's the president of Iraq and he's ready to negotiate. And then there's a, a big Texan in our group and uh, he just cold cocks him, Boosh, you know, hits him in the mouth. Cause you know, he's struggling and fighting. And so he basically puts him on the ground Well, now everybody's like, okay, so we gotta, we gotta get him under control. So we're all on him now trying to get him under control. Cause he's pretty strong for an old guy, you know? And, uh, uh, pull a weapon out of his, uh, he had a Glock 18 on fully automatic Glock and, uh, get him pinned down to the ground. And basically, uh, once that happens, uh, it's kind of like, okay, whew, we got him, but now that hole's not been cleared, you know? And so, you know, I kind of, I've got my gun in his chest, but I'm watching that hole. Cause you don't know what's going to come out of this hole and they end up, you know, Hey, once he's secure, they have got him. I kind of stand up and, and one of the other guys, he's trying to get in that hole, you know, but he's a, he's, he's a Irishman and he's a pretty thick Irishman, you know, and uh, he's got his kit on, he can't get in it. So I, by this time I've took all my kit off, my uh, magazines, my armor, everything, you know, and all I've got is my pistol. And so I'm like, Hey, I said, hop out, let me get in there. You know, so he hops out and I jump in that hole. And so I get down in the bottom of that hole and I'm like looking at the, you can kind of see because, you know, the the lights, everybody's shining down in there and it's a T intersection at the end of this, like probably eight foot run, you know? So I'm I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, Hey, so I kept a gun on it. I'm like, Hey, give me another pistol. And so a guy hands me down a Glock. I've got my 45 and a, and I'm just kind of like, okay, it's kind of boondock saints, you know, I kind of cross my pistols and I go to that T intersection and I just kind of clear the intersection. But luckily it was only about six feet you know three feet either way you know and then so it was all clear you know but we didn't know what was in there so and then I, and, and at that point they hand me down a camera I just do all the footage that you saw on Fox News. Well there you go there your photography training finally pays off. It paid Yay. off. I Yay! hit play and it worked <laughs> and uh, yeah so it all goes back to that training. And go. so anyway, so I did the video, handed it out. They sent that right away off to Fox news, I guess. And I just started handing his stuff out, you know, and he had a bunch of cash in there and a couple of question. And,
0: There's been a couple stories out there. Was there somebody named Samir there? Yeah, he was the Terp. Did he, um, is he the one, did he punch Saddam? I, I mean, maybe once he was
1: laying on the ground and held down, maybe, but, uh, I know there was a female interpreter there screaming and kicking and trying to scratch him and everything else. And we had oh, to yeah? restrain her. Why? You know? <laughs> well, it's just cause she was getting in the way, you know, I mean, we we were trying to get the guy, you know, under control. And, you know, I mean, and that involves why did, like, but put,
2: why did she want to attack Saddam?
1: Cause he, she was a Shia.
2: Oh, gotcha. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, yeah, that's, that's the t- story we were told, you know? And so, but she was not happy with him. And so, yeah, she was fit to be tied. And so we had to basically get her off of him, you know, because it was, it was a lot of screaming and I mean, it's a high energy moment. I, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, I, I'm saying it like it's, but it was electric. I mean, it was like, holy smokes. Well, you know? I mean, it's like
0: you're talking about too. It's like, you got to be careful because you don't want to get too itchy of a trigger finger, you know, shit's going down. But one round goes off. Like you said, like the guy under the bed you know, half a second more, uh, you would have had a dead guy and it would have taken you a lot longer to find out what was going on.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and I think it was better. We ended up capturing him. I could have shot the guy, you know, but, um, they actually ended up, I mean, you know, his own people had, their, ju- had, their, had their justice and they hung him on my birthday, like three years later. So You're on your birthday, on my birthday, yep. December Happy 30th, birthday. 2006.
0: Okay. Happy so. birthday! That's your birthday. I didn't know that you're awful young, man. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, different year. I get it. Different year, yeah. but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, uh, but the same day. And it, they smuggled, and somebody, the other thing too, right? That was a little bit of controversy. Somebody smuggled footage of him being hung out. There wasn't supposed to be any cameras inside there, but somebody was able to, you know, covertly bring a camera in and capture that.
1: It didn't look like a very professional job. I saw the, I saw it. And I mean, you know, couldn't happen to a meaner guy though, you know? Well, you hey, well,
0: look for considering the things that he did, Use did to the soccer team, you know how they killed people and stuff. Yeah. So you had a guy who couldn't understand how to tie a knot correctly. And he had to hang there an extra couple of minutes. i got to tell you, I just don't feel any sympathy. It's not there.
2: I got a buddy that's uh was a DOJ attorney and he was a JAG in the army and, and, uh, he was one of the people selected to go in and watch the execution. You know, and that's, I mean, hell, that's a memorable event for somebody like Saddam Hussein. This is just a mass, mass, mass murder, you know, as bad as, as, if not worse than Pablo Escobar. And so his name's Mike. I said, Mike, so what'd you do afterwards? He showed me pictures of of things there. And he said, you know what? We all went out and we enjoyed cigars. We celebrated.
1: I I was going to say he probably applauded and, you know,
2: walked out. proper way to take care of Hey, so the stuff that you brought out of the spider hole, what all uh, money, weapons, anything of other evidentiary value down in there was anybody was able to use.
1: Uh, really? I mean, he had cigars, he had, uh, Monte Cristo or Cristal, Cristalis cigars, a Cuban cigars. He had some Romeo and Julietas. Uh, he had, uh, I don't, I think it was like $750,000 in cash in a, in a K in, in a, like a little uh, trunk, a little green trunk. I just handed it up, and I guess they handed that off to the 4th the ID guys. And what was funny is I remember our Sergeant Major uh, looked at, like, the 4th ID colonel, and he goes, hey, you just captured Saddam Hussein. And the guy was like –
0: Yeah, you know, I could see that. You've just captured Saddam Hussein. What are you going to do? We're all going to Disney. (laughs) Yeah,
2: right. So that was December 13th. Now, when how much longer were you in country before you rotated back?
1: We were there another probably two or three weeks. So we were still hitting targets. And, you know, uh, you know, we were going after the rest, you know, more in the deck of cards.
0: Yeah. That was one of the best things I think they ever did was that deck of cards. Um, By the way, um, it was real interesting, too. One of our previous episodes, uh, somebody Steve introduces to a guy named Jeff Sandy was an IRS agent at the time. They brought him over. He ended up interviewing Tariq Aziz and ended up breaking down all the oil for food scam where the money was. That was part of what he did. And that was, you know, another guy that was on the deck of cards, you know, um, Tariq. So uh, all good stuff. What was the mission going on when you took that round? Oh, so we were, uh,
1: our job was, uh, Uzbekistan, uh, mercenaries were coming across the border, basically being paid by Al Qaeda to kill American soldiers. And so they would come across like platoon strength, you know, heavy weapons, RPGs. I mean, you know, just roll into the country, walk across the border, take the first house they come to, uh, kill the adults, rape the kids and end up killing the kids and then move on to the next house. I mean, they're just disturbing people really i mean and we didn't know this was going on i mean we what we would do is wait they went in the house and then we would launch and we'd end up going in and taking care of all those guys and then you know uh and one night we ended up destroying a guy's house while we were doing it you know so i mean because there was a lot of them you know and so we ended up you got in a big firefight and ended up killing them and so uh we're like hey we're sorry you know we burned your house down and uh the guy's like hey no problem he goes we knew nobody was watching uh and i thank you for coming and trying to pay him money for burning his house down he goes thank you no i don't want your money he goes you've done what what you needed to do and anyway we, we forced him to take money because he was so happy that somebody was actually uh watching these atrocities that were going on and and then he told us what was going on at that point. He goes, well, what are you talking about? You know, and he goes, well, this is what they do. And he told us, laid it out, you know, and now. So we had a different perspective. So, I mean, as soon as them summer guns would like come across the border and we saw them heading toward a house, we knew as soon as they went through that doorway and they set security, we launched. And we would go, so they didn't have time to do all that evil stuff that they were planning. And so it was on one of those missions, and uh, the main body of the force had went into a house. They put some guys in a uh, out in the, I guess I call it palm groves, out near the house as security. So our mission was to go and uh, take care of the guys out in the palm grove. We were on Little Birds, and as we came in, we took fire. So, uh, my two IC was on the left side of the bird and he had a six shooter, a chunker, a 40 millimeter, uh, uh, grenade launcher is what it was. So he ends up, uh, killing one of the guys with that, but the other guy took off and he had the, a PKM machine gun. So we land, make sure this guy's, uh, uh, not a threat anymore. And then, uh, as they're doing that, I go around the edge of the house and I look and I see that, and, and uh, we're being notified from above that the guy is just out past the house. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I'm like, I go back and grab a guy. I'm like, Hey, I said, they're saying he's over here. And so we come around the house and there's a big old hole of water right here. It's a spring fed, I guess. I don't know what they, if they'd watered their crops or what it was, but I went around and I thought, man, I hate to fall in that water. Cause it was like 25 or 30 degrees. It was cold and uh so my buddy's going up the wall and i break that corner and i've got i'm i'm focused on the open gate that's out here and where they're telling us the guy's at and he was actually in this a woodshed right here in this house so basically he he was like less than 10 yards from and he just steps out with that pkm and and so i I catch movement because it's a super bright moon that night and i catch it not with my night vision but just just I saw him, you know, and I turn and as I'm turning, he's shooting, you know, and basically he shot my radio in half. And then I don't know, a couple bullets bounced off my plates and my magazines. And then one of them went through right above my plate, you know, just right here above my heart. And it exploded my clavicle and <clears throat> went out my, uh, uh, no, I guess my clavicle, but it, my collarbone exploded. The collarbone and went out. My clavicle, and and it basically rendered this arm useless. So I just, you know, the, your weapon's heavy because it's got lasers and everything else on it. So now I'm like, I really can't get this weapon up and 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 return fire because he's still shooting at me. So I just dove in this hole of water.
2: Now that's a seven point six two millimeter round, right?
1: It's a seven uh, six two by fifty four. So it's like a it's like a thirty alt six round. It's a uh,
0: yeah. It's a big round.
1: Yeah. And uh, so I dove in this water and I'm, I'm kind of waiting for him to stop shooting at me, uh, you know, because I can hear the bullets hitting the dirt and the, and the water above me. And I'm just kind of waiting on him to stop, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I guess this is it, you know, and I, I kind of said a prayer. I was like, well, God, just please take care of my family. And, you know, but then I'm like still alive <laughs> you know i'm waiting you know and he's and now he's not shooting at me anymore and i'm just so i'm like well i'm gonna get a breath of air and i come up and i get a breath and i'm just like man i can't move my shoulder my arm and and i'm i'm a i bow hunt quite a bit you know and i'm just like man this is gonna ruin my bow season <laughs> I did, that's what i thought i'm like hang, hey, you know I can't about move the
2: pain my Huh? What about what about the physical pain from being shot?
1: It really, I just couldn't move my arm. You know, I mean, I knew I was paralyzed. You know, and I thought I was paralyzed. I thought I don't know what he shot in here, but I, I just absolutely—I mean, it was dead. You know, and I could hear bones crunching, and you know, and so it was just like, man. So I did. I, I, I was like, yeah, it's going to ruin my bow season. And uh, if I can kind of get up on this bank, I'm going to try to shoot back at this guy. You know, so I wiggle around and kind of get my gun up on the like a little berm right here but the problem is is i've got my sling on still and it's going under my arm so i can't really raise my gun up that high but i can look over and see muzzle blast you know because uh uh, he had took the 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 machine gun once he would shot me stuck it around the corner and i mean uh, him and my buddy kind of gotten a little bit of a a a firefight with each other, but he has a PKM machine gun. So he basically mowed that whole corner down where my buddy was at. And I mean, he couldn't, there's nothing he could kind of do, you know I mean? He just, he basically retreated to the back corner and then he stuck it around that corner and was just mowing with this machine gun. And then he, and a good reload, he wrote it, reloaded in about 10 seconds, got that thing reloaded and put it around the corner again, around the next corner. So that's when I saw him shooting at that corner down here of this house, So I just kind of lay my gun up on the berm and I just kind of start cacking rounds. I can't, my nods are gone. My night vision's gone. And, uh, and I just kind of start shooting at that muzzle blast, you know, just laid it up there and just, I'm just slowly. And I don't know if he felt like he's taking fire, you know, it's hitting the wall near him or something, but I see him kind of, I don't know, kind of leap back and he starts running right towards me, you know, and I'm like, oh no, (laughs) you know, so I'm like, oh, so I'm kind of turning, you know, trying to do to meet him, you know, with some kind of fire, you know, and as he comes by me, I'm just kind of shooting and he, and he tumbles like right next to me and drops his PKM right next to me. And then he kind of gets up and hobbles out and runs out the gate and the Rangers captured him in the house next door.
2: So, so, did you hit him in the foot?
1: I, I, that's what I was told. So, you know, uh, he dropped his gun for a reason right there next to me. I couldn't get my gun up any higher, though. All I could do was like this high, you know, like pointing at the ground where he was running, you know. So,
2: well, plus you weren't capable to reload either.
1: I couldn't, yeah. I mean, I guess I could have, but I, it was, it was it a, it would problem. have been,
0: uh, yeah, you would have taken a long time to reload injured like you were. Hey, what, well,
2: how deep was that hole of water you were in?
0: Probably three
2: feet, four feet. Oh okay so you could stand up.
1: Yeah, but I mean it wasn't like it. I had a big puff jacket on and uh I mean you know I was dressed for winter and so you're soaked, you know, and I mean you can't use this arm and it was uh you know it was a kind of crappy situation. But What was uh,
0: what was the rifle you were using? Was that the uh, is H&K 416? Wow.
2: You know what uh, just thank the good lord it wasn't your day to die.
1: That's exactly what it was. It was just, it wasn't my time and he probably blocked some of them bullets and let one of them get me, you know?
2: That, I mean, that's, those are massive rounds coming at you and you, obviously you got your steel plates on in your vest.
1: Yeah.
2: Holy cow. I, it, this is just unbelievable. That's, uh, you know, you, you want to hear a miracle? You just heard one, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The other thing too, is just like you said, it's not, it wasn't your day to die brother. Um, But, but this is going to be a long road back for you now at this point, because like you say, you've got, it's not that you're paralyzed as much as right. It's broken everything that makes your arm move. That's all, that's all blown up.
1: Well, it's a, now it's a titanium bar. Uh, basically they just replaced my clavicle with a titanium bar. And so the, I had to switch, you know, it did ruin my bow season. And so I had (laughs) to switch to shooting left-handed. Man, what a shame. I know. I I shoot my bow (laughs) left-handed now. So. I'm actually uh getting ready to ship my bow to Missouri uh for a hunt that I'm gonna probably do next week. So uh but anyway, I'm blessed to be able to shoot anything. So
2: You're blessed to be sitting right there talking to us now You
0: Set off metal detectors though, don't you? Well, titanium don't. I don't know. Oh, I mean don't? Okay. no. I mean Did I, you have I to get ever... a medical card or anything if they scan you and see it in there? Nope. Ah sweet, nope. man. It's a bunch of screws and a metal bar, so I mean, I don't know. I've never had it set nothing off, so well, but talk about your rehab, though. How long did it take you? Um, uh, because, I mean, obviously, they they you out of there. They're going to take you, get some initial medical care for you. But how long does it take you from the time you're shot till the time you can kind of function again? Uh,
1: I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was six months uh, before I could even raise my arm. I mean, you know, I mean, I had a really good rehab guy at the unit, uh, Scott, and He basically got me back to where I could actually raise my arm and and make me feel like I could, maybe I can come back, you know, to doing stuff, you know, and, and, uh, but it's, it, I'll be honest with you, the rehab's ongoing because that, the bullet went through the brachial complex and it, and it messed up a bunch of nerves. It missed like all the arteries and all that, which if it had nicked one of them, I'd be dead, but, uh, it did hit nerves and stuff. And so the pain actually is not here. It's like in my shoulder. And so... can you get your arm
2: up above your shoulder?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I can. You know, it's it's not as straight as, of course, this arm. You know, but it's it's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's my new hundred percent. I'll say that.
2: There you go. Yep. Well, we aren't we aren't getting any younger, are we? No, no.
1: And I mean, it hurts a little worse, kind of every year. So I don't know. I, I, I've been pretty
0: bad shape probably in twenty years, but that right, welcome to the alive, buddy. So. Um, <laughs> What, so let's talk about how long they keep you on active duty until what point? Um,
1: so basically, uh, I rehabbed from 2011 until, uh, I retired in 13. So I took the, uh, uh, a job in operations where I was setting up, you know, exercises and whatever, uh, while I was rehabbing and, uh, and I came on right getting close to 20 years and they're like, uh, well, I mean, you can you can retire normally and get 50% retirement and be taxed, or you can retire medically, medically with 70% retirement and no taxes.
2: Wow. I, you know what? I think I could figure that I one
1: like, out. I'm <laughs> not a smart man, but I yeah. think I'll take that one. So, wow. Yep. So I went ahead and medically retired right, right at 19 and a half years. And what so, percentage do they give you of disability? So when I first got out, it was 70, and, uh, and then so – because I'm just like, well, wait a minute, you know, I know people twisted their ankles, got 100, you know, and so uh, I, I kind of went back, and they, they reevaluated and, and looked at my range of motion, and and, and plus two, I've got like uh, – I've had to have knee surgery. I had to leap off a building one time that was getting ready to blow up. And so anyway, so um, they found a few more things wrong with me than they thought, and so I'm at 100%.
0: So and, and that, you yeah, that, earned every oh, bit of it, pal, just you're not <laughs> kidding. I just,
2: that, that burns me up here. And you know, that our heroes go over and, are, you know, what you went through and not just you, all the thousands of people before you and after you, and you got to go fight to get that disability.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a process. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I was just like, well, I mean, uh, anyway, so I, I feel, I feel blessed to be, uh,
0: where I'm at in life right now. And, and, uh, you know, I don't have any complaints. Well, you don't get out of this that easy. Hold on a second. Nope. So, um, how many purple hearts did you get? I've got two. How many bronze stars? Seven. And
1: then uh, a <laughs> couple, couple for valor. I mean, you know, but
2: hey, don't play it down. This is, a, you, you are a freaking American hero, brother you know how many people know you're being humble and you don't want to I just just
1: tried to do my part. I mean, I really, I'm, it's not about, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, if nobody asked me ever about, asked me about this, I wouldn't tell nobody, you know? So, I
2: mean, well, and and we're not finished talking to you yet, but I just want to say right now, Morgan and I are so proud uh, to have you on the show. It's, we have a lot of heroes on here, but, I mean, you're right there at the top of the pack, brother.
0: Yeah, man. Well, you can see back here my background, too. That's my dad's flag um, when he passed away and stuff. Um, the You know, you you kind of uh, emblematic of the greatest generation. The guys that came back from World War II That's didn't blue. talk about things. Guys that served in Vietnam that were never treated well by their country that should have been. Um, and so it's like to, to talk to guys like you who did the work. And don't go out and seek glory. And that's the, my question. And one thing I wanted to close off with you, I know you got more to Murph, but I want to talk a little bit about the ethos of guys like you who do not go out and go on the lectures. I mean, don't go out and make a big deal about it. Say, well, hey, it's all about me. Here's my story. I want to talk about, be on the lecture circuit, write books, do movies. I mean, we were, we're not going to mention names or people, but there are people out there from the community who have uh, talked about things that a lot of guys like you would prefer they not talk about.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they have their own demons to, uh, have to deal with, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be in that boat. If I do tell some, if I have to give a presentation or something, it ain't about me. It's about my group I was with. It's, it's us. It's, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I uh, hope this whole thing hasn't been just, oh, it's about me. I'm trying to go, hey, look, this isn't, you know. Dude, we've bes-
0: had to drag it out of you. Don't tell me. It's not a
2: one-man war.
0: Yeah, case you know, first, you know, Honor, Your Honor, I'd like to introduce to evidence his first statement and blah, blah, blah. There you go, glossing <laughs> over everything, blah, blah, blah. We had to unwind it and unpack it. So, no, pal, we've had to drag it out of you, which is our way. We, we screen it. Look, we have, we have not brought people onto the podcast because they're bullshit artists. Um, Steve, you know what I'm talking about, too, from San Diego and some other guys. Oh, yeah. And yep. we, get, we get asked, hey, we want to do this now. You are you are the farthest thing from a bullshit artist. In fact, you're one of those guys when we have to drag it out of you as consistently as we have to. It's indicative of the fact is that you've got it in the right perspective, which it's it's about, you know, I was part of a team. It wasn't about me. It was about our team. And quite frankly, I'm sure you lost some team members, too. You'd like to you'd like there's some guys that you wish you could go out and have a beer with. Yep.
2: Well, you know, And just so our listeners know. Kevin didn't reach out to us. Um, Morgan and I and Javier, we're all represented by United Talent Agency. And, and Javier and I use UTA Speakers Bureau to book corporate and different events for us. And Dave Buchalter, we give him a shout out. He's, he's our agent and he gave me a call and he's like, hey, there's a guy you've got to talk to that would be perfect for game of crimes. And he started telling me about your military. And I said, Dave, you know, I mean, we're, love these guys. I mean, we worked with your some of your uh, amigos there. I said, but you know, we were focused on law enforcement. He says, so oh, that's what you're going to like about this. He was a North Carolina wildlife officer. It's just perfect fit for the show here. And your story is like really none others that we've had on here. We hope to get uh, General Boykin on here at some point to talk about his participation in the Escobar hunt and all that. Uh, and he is still free just a real in my opinion, a magnanimous man who has has done a lot with his life and has become a, a an ordained minister now. I, I really with, respect uh, him. For that. I work
1: with General Boykin's son. I was on uh, President Biden's uh, PSD in Iraq in 2010, and and General Boykin's son is Secret Service guy, and so he was running the detail, and we were the cat team for, uh, you know, President or back then it was uh, Vice, Vice President. Vice President,
0: yeah, yeah, Very and
1: cool. so. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we've got some. I don't know. He'd bring us in and wanted to see if we could throw our hatchets and, and whatever. <laughs>
2: but, yeah. <laughs> hey, but so I mean, that's not the end of your story. So you rehabbed, and uh, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've kept you here way too long. Uh, and it's right our the second, path, maybe
0: our first, longest episode next to Dave Reichert and the Green River Killer. Um, yeah.
2: But now you have gotten into some humanitarian work that I think is just phenomenal. Yeah. And this is one thing that Morgan and I, we've, we interviewed a lady on earlier, Natasha Herzig here on game of crimes, who was a victim of human and sex trafficking. And so we've kind of developed this interest in it now. And then when I got to talking to you on the phone and heard about some of your, I call them adventures uh, that you're on, I think you need to share those. If you don't mind sharing those uh, with our listeners now.
1: Yep. So I did, uh, I did contract work for about three years after I retired um, uh, kind of was doing the same thing I did, uh, in the military, uh, but for just the USDA
0: yeah, for the USDA. Yeah. Who would for have the, known they were such a badass organization. They <laughs> are.
1: And with a whole lot less, uh, support.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And anyway, so, uh, I kind of got, you know, I, I work with a company called Cryptek, and one of the guys that started the company is uh, Josh Cleghorn. He was a little bird pilot, and he used to fly me around, put me on target. So he he's one of the owners of Cryptek. I work with him, and uh, and so I've been doing that. And I work with uh, I work for Sig, uh, teach some, and I'm an ambassador for Sig Sauer. And in uh, this past fall, uh, one of my friends from the, my army unit he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, what are you doing?" And uh, I was like, well, I'm sitting on the porch having a bourbon and a cigar, you know, and, and he's like, uh, ah, we kind of need a little help, you know, uh, over in that region that we're, uh, we pulled out of, you know. And so, uh, I went over, uh, last October and, uh, we ended up pulling, uh, quite a few of American citizens, blue passport, carrying American citizens out of Afghanistan, uh, <clears throat> helped them get across the border and, you know, back to America, you know, with a, a lot of support from some of the congressmen and stuff in our country.
0: Well, wait a minute. I thought we got everybody out. That's what we were oh, told. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, maybe maybe they just didn't see these folks or something. But How many are we talking about? Well, there were, uh, I mean, just in my time there, I mean, I was doing a, uh, a little reconnaissance up in that northeast corner of that country. And uh, uh, there were... 15 that we actually pulled out. And then there were probably a hundred uh, that uh, they were working on getting out when I left. So there was quite a few.
2: Were they in hiding or were they being held captive?
1: No, no they were in hiding. We actually, uh, yeah, I mean, there are several organizations. Uh, uh, and I, I mean, Sentinel group is the, is the group that I actually work with. Uh, they, uh, they are a great group. Uh, that, uh, uh, they're involved with the Tim Tebow foundation and it's all about rescuing people and, uh, the kids that are being trafficked. Uh, so every chance I get, I go and I help those guys, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, down South or over in the middle East or wherever.
2: Well, there's a, there's a conflict ongoing right now that you've, you've participated in, haven't you?
1: Yep. So, uh, <clears throat> I had a friend, uh contact me about, uh, getting some people out of, uh, Eastern Ukraine, uh, back in February. And so I ended up uh, going over there for about a month. We, we pulled about 200 people out of, uh, Kharkiv, Ukraine, uh, got them in vans and, and, uh, pulled them back toward the the Western part of the country so that, uh, they actually could survive because they would have been killed. And, uh, um, so anyway, we, we're we kind of – every now and then I'll get a call and we'll go and do something good. It feels pretty good to be able
0: to to help out. How do you protect yourself when you're over there like that? Especially, you know, you got Russian forces that don't really give a shit. They've been killing civilians. They've been doing stuff. So how do you protect yourself? Because I can just imagine your wife going, here we go again.
2: Yeah. Well, in addition to a lot of prayer.
0: Yeah. So, yeah,
1: there's a – there's a bit of factor right there where, you know, okay, you know, part of the time we're armed and part of the time we weren't, you know. And so, but because if
0: you're armed, they would consider you a combatant, right? W- w- either way, if you're an
1: American and they get a hold of you, you're a In combatant. You're, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, the, and the, I guess the, it isn't the Russians really, it's the people that don't know you're there. So having a good, uh, interpreter and having the forces that you're there to help some of those guys with you, they can kind of go, Oh no, no, these are, you know, Good guys. These are the good guys. guys." You know, it's not the, yeah. So, I mean, that's the key right there is to, is to not just be winging it, you know, like, Hey, I'm gonna wing it and go in here. No, you need a support system, you know? And so, uh, we had some uh, pretty good support from the highest levels over there. And so, uh that helped us to actually be successful on that mission.
2: I tell you what, man, I've, I've got goosebumps just sitting here listening to you. It's, um, and as a fellow American, I can't tell you how proud I am of you and the other guys that you've worked with. And, uh, you know, some of the, we've in common, and friends that we have in common and, and, we're tickled to death to have you on here. This is I, I predict now this is going to be one of the highest rated yeah. podcasts we've ever well, done. Well, if it
0: weren't for the fact that both Murph and I have small bladders, I mean, we'd keep this thing going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, there's so many stories we could get into. And this, this is unique, too, because for one thing, we're at four hours and about 43 minutes now. We have gone on longer than what we anticipated. But the other thing, though, too, is um, there is so much stuff here that we could not even dive into. I mean, we spent at least a good first two hours just going through your SEAL training and dev grew and just getting mm-hmm. to that point before we started getting into the wildlife stuff, before we started getting into the, what was that called again, Murph, special mission unit, something about alpha beta gamma Delta can't, you yeah. know, it rhymes with, it, it rhymes with smelta. Hey, by the way, Delta dental is my dental company too. So we've got something in common. I'm a member of Delta too. Hey, me too. I, I, that's my dental company. Yeah. So. Hey, <laughs> well, Hey, I got a coffee mug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it doesn't exist. Murph. It doesn't exist. You bought uh, that in the black uh, market somewhere.
2: Well, you know, back then, they didn't, they, they didn't. nobody would even acknowledge, the government wouldn't acknowledge that group.
0: No. You know, I was doing some training. Um, I, I got the first set of business cards from guys at, from the No Such Agency, the first time they mm-hmm. were ever allowed to hand out business cards. Wow. I, st- I mean, still a collector item. It's like, they didn't know what they I said, you guys don't know how to do business cards. Yeah. This is the first time we've ever done them. Yeah. You know,
2: I think I've got a shot glass from them up here.
0: Yeah. Somewhere up there. Hey, but, but seriously, I yeah, know that the time has flown by and it's, we, we just got to figure right. out a way. I'll tell you what, here's what we need to do. This is, this is, uh, uh, this is your new set of orders, uh, here. Um, you retired as what, a master sergeant? I did. All right, Master Sergeant, new set of orders. We're going to bring you back, but we want to talk about the operations that you guys are doing to uh, bring people out uh, from Ukraine, some of the stuff uh, in that area that you used to operate in. What, you know, Because what, what we'd love to do is talk – because to me, those are it, – it, it, it dovetails into nicely into what we're doing because th- those are crimes. What the Taliban is doing mm-hmm. to their people, what Russia is doing to the Ukrainians. Um, it just, to me, and quite frankly, they are, they're war crimes, what they've done to these folks are war crimes. And we've got to, we've got to show the highlight, the good work that's being done. So we'll cut your order soon. We'll send them to you. Uh, don't worry. There's no PT test involved in this. Uh, no water. You want well,
2: just to- a little, just a little, uh, compass course. Don't worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and we're gonna we're gonna come out there and meet. So you just it's just a little ways down the road from where you're at. We'll all meet. So okay,
2: we'll be in Greensboro.
0: <laughs> I got a place you guys can stay. I got a friend's house. It's close here. Oh so.
2: uh, um, you it's, know as a matter of fact, I, I'm gonna be in Greensboro next week. We're speaking at a conference there. Not too far away. Yeah, from I was just
0: you. down in Raleigh actually. So uh, who knew we were so close? But it just I just need to know where my fallback position is should shit happen up here in Northern Virginia. um, fallback position. We've got a place in North Carolina there, Murph. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: There's uh, and, and, and two, we know that we have kept you much longer. We're going to shut up here in just a second, but thank your wife yep. for allowing us to take up five hours of your time. Cause I know she's probably in there going, are you taking me to lunch or what?
1: She, she came out with a note a minute ago that said something and I didn't have a clue
0: what it meant. And I was like, I just shook my head and she walked back in. <laughs> You're a wise so, man. My wife is sitting over here too. She went out and did some shopping. Um, and I, I said, Hey, we'll go out to eat in a minute. She goes, that's a good idea. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, well, we we got the pool builders are here. We got an electrician coming in. We got some guy. Screw to sell, them! This is more important, with all—
0: Yeah, tell those people to go off. To just... they're always the heroes. They're always the heroes. Hey, well, dude, I got to tell you, people can't see this, but this is me saluting you, um, uh, sailor and soldier. Thank you for your service to the country. But m- more as well as that, but the you bled for this country. You lost friends for this country. But you're still doing stuff for this country. No matter what's going on in the world, you're still doing stuff that's helping people out. And that's because you're at, at heart. You're still a warrior, brother. So this is us saluting you.
1: Hey, uh, and right back at you, man. Thank you. all
2: I think the good Lord uh, gives us all special gifts. He gave you one of service to mankind. I, I can't say thank you enough, man, for everything you've done. I hope that we get the opportunity to meet in person someday. Um want to even send you a little gift in the mail here just to... Just to waste your time. I hear you. But a true, true honor. True Earth, the last Patriots, time you sent American something through the mail, they the returned
0: it because it was the wrong size. You sent them one of your used thongs. So don't do that. Shh, don't tell him. <laughs> don't tell him. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you guys uh, uh, actually thinking of me to have me on here. And, uh, Are you it's kidding, been, man? It's, uh, th- what, it's we, th- what we've done is paled in comparison to what you've done. And it's like we're just honored yeah. that you would spend your time with us so we can let – We the goal is we want to let everybody know and just – what kind of heroes there are in this community, men and women who serve, you know, day in and day out, that their stories never see the light of day because they have the warrior ethos like you, which is it isn't about doing something so you can go write a book about it or have a movie done about you. It's about doing it because that's what you were born to do. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right.
2: God bless you, Kevin, and your family.
0: Don't go anywhere. You guys hang on for just a second. Everybody else stay tuned for The Debrief. If you weren't strapped in, like you said, and holding on for this ride, my God, I was, I'm still at a loss for words. Just two hours, we hadn't even got through his uh, SEAL training and what he did. And the inside story of that, what a ride.
2: You know, uh, our regular listeners know that that Javier and I had the opportunity to work with uh, SEAL Team 6 members as well as um, Delta Force members when we were chasing Pablo Escobar. Special mission unit. Yeah, same thing. Same when we lived in Medellin. And these guys are truly the studs of the world. In our shows that we do around the world, we make a point of telling everybody if we're ever kidnapped, those are the groups we want to come and get us because we've seen what they can do. But listen to Kevin's story and what they went through and Bud's training out there in Coronado Island. I'm thinking, what kind of mindset do you have to have? To continue to do that and not say, screw this, I've had
0: enough. Well, it's the same mindset that you, for because some recruiter told you to do, you cut down an eight-foot log and you carry it everywhere you <laughs> go in the back roads.
2: <laughs> Well, be careful with Kevin. You tell him to do something, he's going to go do it.
0: I know, but my first thought was, now he's screwing with you, isn't it? And Kevin goes, no, and that, you know, Southern, no, he, he was really serious. You know, it's like, damn, yeah. if you catch me walking around a back road carrying an eight-foot log, have me committed.
2: <laughs> Again, you know. One of the most motivational interviews we've ever done. Kevin, just so proud of you and your service to our country. And and as I said in the intro, you know, I just hope to get the, have the opportunity to meet you sometime in person, just to shake your hand, tell you personally, thank you for what you've done for our country. We have heroes on here every freaking episode. But I don't know, it's just... There <laughs> are some the that are in a different people...
0: category. He's in a different category. I mean, what he did, and for as long as he did it, and the things he endured, it's not just going through SEAL training. right? Then it's going through this, you know, the, the, the SEAL uh, tactical training. Uh, then it's going through SEAL Team 6 training. Then it's all the weapons training. Then it's the pre-workups. Then it's doing the law enforcement thing, going through their academy. Then it's saying, hey, I want to become a part of the special mission unit, also known as Delta, going through the Delta training. This guy has done more shit in a smaller amount of time than most people do for their entire life.
2: Absolutely, the only as I understand it, the only publicly recognized individual that was a member of SEAL Team Six and the U.S. Army's Delta Group,
0: uh, Special Mission Unit, Delta Force, Special Mission Unit, Ura, <laughs> <For Oorah. Oorah. laughs> Ura. Uh, uh, that's that is the Marines. Hua <laughs> is and army. This is for you, <laughs> Nakuya. <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, but what a, I, I tell you what, we were honored to have him on, and it was like Absolutely. we couldn't believe when we got done how long this episode was. So, hey guys. We just want to say thank you. Thank you guys for being a part of the show. So if you enjoy that episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five stars. It really helps out. Also, Spotify has the same five stars. Really helps us out in the rankings getting discovered. Also, head on over to com for more information about the show. That's where we put uh, pictures, you know, anything. People have books, uh, our merch. Also, follow us on that thing called social media, at GameOfCrimes on Twitter at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. And just uh, now head over to PayPal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Game Crimes. Whatever makes it easier for you to support the show. But where do you got to be three times, Murph?
2: <laughs> got to be on Patreon with us. Come over, check us out. You know what? And you mentioned, I think, in the intro about <clears throat> um, that we've got the uh, Cali edition of DEA Narcos out now. And it's, it's a total of 12 episodes, is that Fifteen. Right? Oh, 15 episodes.
0: And the 15th episode is actually a two-hour special. So yeah, you get 16 hours of content. You will not hear anywhere else in the world. I guarantee ya.
2: Yeah, because it wasn't on the show Narcos. If you've seen the Cali edition, which was season three, you got to come on and listen to what Chris and David. You got to listen
0: to episode 12 when it comes out. Episode 12 is really about taking one for the team. Oh, you're not (laughs) kidding. You're not (laughs)
2: kidding. But it's the things that, you know, people think Javier and I were crazy because of what we did against the Escobar and the Medellin cartel. that That was crazy. Wait till you hear what these guys went through.
0: I, even I think they were crazy. So, this is You were crazy, and this is batshit crazy.
2: There you go. You got to come and check us out. So just give us a shot on Patreon. Uh, if you don't like it, just hang in there with us. It'll get better. If you got suggestions that you'd like us to do differently or do dif- or try something different, let us know.
0: As long as it's legal, moral, or uh, uh, slightly unethical, we're we're fine. <laughs> just don't, just don't ask Murph to wear a thong. We will we have, not. We
2: have standards. They're kind of low, but we they're do have low, standards. but
0: we have standards. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, look. This is a way to wrap up a fabulous show. Again. Uh, Kevin can't see this once again, but this is us saluting him, saying thank you for your service, Uh, Sailor and Soldier, um, the only public recognized member of both DevGrew and Special Mission Unit, uh, also known as SEAL Team 6 and Delta. And what a great time. So uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. And once again, for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all for the SEALs and the Delta operators out there. Yes, I publicly acknowledge them. Game of Crimes.